Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. Welcome to Fandom Power. What is up, everybody? It's Wes here, back with Fandom Power. And, uh, of course, this is our uh, second go at The Book of Boba Fett. So it's our little uh, review show here that we like to call The the Book of Boba Fandom. Once again, I'm joined here in the Saw Cave with my good friend and uh, recording partner, Andy. Yo. And uh, joining us remotely all the way out in Halifax, as always. Nice to have you along, Hank McLaughlin. What's up, fellas? What's up, world? Uh, I'm great. Uh, I got a, I am so good. Uh, and this episode has just, uh, I love the shirt by the way. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, man, this was good. I feel like it's almost funny that it it seemed to address problems that people had last episode in real time. (laughs) Funny. We talked about that last week. It's it's a weird thing. Like like people, the impatience level of people is crazy. Because sheer... it like it literally, it literally was like kicked off all these things that people couldn't. Are, are we going to bring up uh, how plants actually grow in the desert again? Oh, man, in, <laughs> in a galaxy, plants in a do galaxy grow in the desert. Of, there, folks. Yes. Yeah, in, in a galaxy where Minox and Hujibs feed off energy, <laughs> right? Trees in the desert is a no go. What's That's a Hujib? Right. right? We're going to get there. Of course, we're going to talk about Hujibs tonight because they've made their first uh, on-screen on-screen canonical appearance. Not their first canonical appearance, no, first but... on-screen appearance. Yeah, live action. Uh, <laughs> I spent, I think, nearly an hour. I'm like, Hujibs! <laughs> oh yeah, man, that was that was awesome. There's so may... there's quite a few of those here. We that oh, may, man. in fact, um, that might actually be the deepest cut this week. But there are a few. There's a lot of cuts. In fact, uh, so this week, uh, you know what? Let's get right into it because there is a lot to cover uh, this week. We're like almost, what, 10 minutes longer? Probably, yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to uh, kick off. Uh, I want to just throw out some of my opening uh, impressions because we'd like to do that uh, each time we do one of these review series. So initial impressions. I just want to say this might be... Like of all the space Western stuff we've ever been given. So, I mean, Star Trek... Uh, which was what built his um, uh, wagon train, wagon train in the stars. And then we got uh, Firefly and of course, Star Wars heavily influenced by Westerns. This episode, episode two might just be the most space Westerny Western ever. <laughs> it's a contender. It is a contender. Oh man. Yeah. It's serious. 
but the biggest difference, and I mean, there's this should come as no shock. We've been gushing over this since uh, since the Mandalorian. I just want to say uh, very succinctly that uh, this episode of Boba Fett does more for Indigenous people than I think every Hollywood Western combined. Yep. And uh, I love it. I love it. It's about time that we've uh, we take a hard look at sort of uh, uh, racial stereotypes and we break them. So I am super pleased about this one. All right. This one is, it's the book of Boba Fett. It's chapter two. This one is called The Tribes of Tatooine. It debuted on Disney Plus Wednesday, January 5th. 2022 has a runtime of uh, 52 minutes, 32 seconds uh, with the credits uh, or 46 minutes and 36 seconds uh, without. Again, there is uh, no post credit scene, but there is a lot of awesome post credit artwork, which we've actually mm-hmm. included tonight. Again, this one written by John Favreau directed by Steph green. Now Steph green has just uh, two film credits, but she's directed on uh, several TV shows, including American Gothic, Billions, Bates Motel, Luke Cage, The Man in High Castle, and Watchmen. Nice. All right. That Good. Watchmen series, that was a good series. I haven't watched it yet, so, I mean, I there's a lot of things that I need to watch, though. Yes, you do uh, need to watch that one. Well, I'm I'm pretty behind on something. And Man in the High Castle is no joke, either. Uh, that's also on my list. Yeah. <clears throat> <sighs> one thing at a time, though. Yes. Uh, okay. So, let's get right to it. Uh, let me just queue up our first one here. Uh, the episode opens <clears throat> with a downward panning shot of uh, Boba's palace. So it turns out that thing in the trailer was not droids. No, not droids. And I'm not calling it Jabba's palace anymore because let's be real. This is Boba's palace. Boba it is Boba's palace. Yes. Opening with a downward panning shot of uh, Boba's palace on the road leading up to the main gate. We can see two people approaching on foot. And as the camera zooms down on them, we can see that it's Fennec Shand and her prisoner from last week's street fight. Kind of reminiscent of uh, Leia walking the Wookiee in. Uh, very much uh, like that. In the courtroom, we uh, Boba interrogates the assassin as uh, the two Gamorrean guards look on. And with absolute defiance, the assassin refuses to answer who sent him. So Boba threatens to remove his head. One of the Gamorrean guards approaches and holds his blade to the prisoner's throat as the interrogation continues. Asking, what do we know of the prisoner? 8D8... Matt Berry, uh, again, coming in here, uh, expounds that he's a member of the Order of the Night Wind. It is a group of assassins for hire, and that the Order's uh, reputation is legendary, and there is no way that this prisoner will talk. Now, Fennec remarks that uh, they're overpriced, and you're just paying for the name. I love that line. <laughs> <laughs> they're just people in hoods. Uh, looking at you, Foot Clan. Uh, and the assassin utters an insult in uh, Hatties and then mm-hmm. leans forward onto the Gamorrean's blade. Ichuda. Yeah. Which we've heard before, which basically translates into something like you're, uh, you're scum or you're slime or something. Mm-hmm. When 8D8 reasserts that there is no way that this prisoner will talk because the Order fears no man, Fennec retorts, fine. Perhaps he fears the Rancor. And at that, the, uh, the man flashes a look of terror uh, at, towards his captors. But it's uh, too late as Fennec triggers the trap door and the man falls to the pit below. His look of terror must have been juxtaposed against my look of glee. <laughs> I, I, I stood up at this point because I thought we were getting moochie. Oh, I you sw- know what? I swear to God, I was like, 
I was in the bathroom <laughs> and I was like, Moochie. That, so that is, I, I'm going to talk about that here in a, in a couple seconds, but uh, we, we're going to bring up Moochie here again in a second. Yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> but yes, I felt, I felt you exactly the same way on that one. Okay. As the Palint slides forward, both Benick and Bo, uh, Benick, <laughs> Benick and Foba. There you go. <laughs> Benick and nice. Foba uh, look down at the man through the observation gate. And slowly, another gate in the pit uh, begins to lift open. And with the certainty that his life is about to end, the man starts yelling up to Boba, It was the mayor! The mayor sent me! But the joke's on him, because when the gate fully opens, um, there is no rancor to be found. Just a tiny mouse. Or a rat. Uh, and we can we can talk about that for a second, because... Uh, one, this could be just a callback to Return of the Jedi. We did see rats. Uh, they, they have appeared canonically before. There were rats actually. I'm going to bring this image up again. The uh, Not that one. That one. Uh, the gate the, that lets the, the, to get out of the pit uh, in Return of the Jedi. That's actually the same gate that we saw a bunch of rats clamoring on back in Return of the Jedi. It's a lot brighter this time, though. Uh, yes. So... Well, I mean, the, I assume that that's just a practical thing for the per- set building purposes. Mm, quite. I, I mean, it could be wrong, but that's kind of where I think it is. Or there's multiple doors. But as you said, uh, Hank, where the heck is Moochie? <laughs> I mean, you know, go back to uh, that episode of, of uh, The Bad Batch. Uh, when The Batch had to bring Moochie in, and, and they finally do, there's a whole sequence at the very end when uh, Bib Fortuna shows up and the the affection the genuine affection that he displays towards Moochie, I thought for sure that uh, Moochie would have been kept around after Jabba's demise, but apparently that is not the case. Yeah, this yeah. kind of pokes a hole in the breeding pair theory. Well, the, yeah, the breeding pair thing. Well, that went out as soon as, uh, and I forget the name of the other one. Um, Patessa. Patessa. When, when Patessa. that one, sorry, one more time. Patessa. Patessa. Patessa, yeah. Yes, when Patessa was, was killed by Luke... I mean, your breeding program kind of went out, out the window, but I just thought Moochie would have been just the, your your default replacement. Yeah, because like, where the where is Bib gonna store another Rancor? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, exactly. She does say menagerie, right? So <clears throat> when I think of menagerie, I episode, think of like zoo, right? And yeah, so yeah. maybe that's just the active pit that the you know perhaps there's yeah, a yeah, yeah. stables that I. I haven't given up on Muji yet. No. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, the, the trailer and the marketing information has showed us that uh, that that uh, Slave One is still to be found, and that and I am not I'm not 100 uh, percent convinced that the scene in the marketing that we see is not another uh, entrance into the other side of, of the temple. It, it kind of looks like it is. Maybe it's not. It's well. quite possible. You look back at like the Roman Colosseum and underneath the Colosseum floor, there's like multiple stables for lions and whatnot. I think if we, if we take a look at the palace again, and we, we already know contextually sort of the, the size of the room that the back to pod is in, and we can, we can infer that that main building is so much larger and yet we see virtually none of it. Yeah. The throne for room me, is just not that big. The place for me, bad. The coming people like the imagine the bounty hunters that come and go and the the traders and all the the spice dealers yeah. the blood the yeah, ne'er do wells. Yeah. There's got to be he's got to have his own spaceport like right there. Yeah, you know, I, I like, would think so. Yeah, and so yeah. When you're when you're a crime lord who is you know uh, galaxy renowned 
you are not having your guests uh, stop at Anchorhead and take a speeder. You're going to you're going to be able to service them locally or nothing because it would be way too risky for a high level crime boss to to do that. You would think, yeah. He's probably got vast underground parking. <laughs> Can you validate my parking, please? All right, so we get a shot of the title card. It is the Book of Boba Fett, the Tribes of Tatooine, and then we go to that uh, flying overhead shot. Now, I didn't, uh, I didn't use the 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 full shot because we essentially saw it last week, but uh, I did get a shot of the uh, the the street view here, which was kind of nice because they really, really went out of their way to populate the streets, and I just thought, wow, that's that's awesome on a television budget. Yeah. A bustling little center. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, beautiful flying overhead shot of the city, pulling back to reveal the, the crater shot that we saw back in the marketing material from trailer one. The city streets are bustling with open air markets, and we can see what is almost certainly a blue X-34 land speeder driving down one of the streets. Now, of course, the X-34, you and I and most casual viewers, we know that to be Luke Skywalker's land speeder. But I just want to throw a shout out to uh, one of my favorite YouTubers at the Colin First channel. Crazy, uh, used to be a plumber. Now he's this crazy builder guy who uh, a couple of years running has done these like Star Wars theme challenges through uh, eBay. And uh, he built a functioning drivable. Now it's not floating, obviously, but on wheels, a uh, one-to-one scale replica land speeder. And it looks pretty damn cool. That's awesome. So shout out for Colin First. Go check his channel out. Uh, he's pretty awesome. All right. Oh, what did I do there? Here we go. Uh, so Boba and Fennec uh, lead the Nightwind assassin prisoner down the streets while the Gamorreans follow closely behind. Several Trandoshans uh, watch from an open-air cafe as the group walks up to the uh, Moss Espa City Hall. Again, strutting. I just want to uh, throw a shout-out for the Zuvio helmet just one more time. Oh, yeah, man. Um, I want to talk about this right now because it came up as I was rewatching the episode earlier today. I get the impression from a a production standpoint that uh, both episode one and episode two, at least the city uh, portions were shot concurrently because it's the same group of, of uh, uh, aliens and people just on the streets. Right. Like the the Zuvio guy is with that uh, Gand looking alien again this week, almost in the same place. We get inside the sanctuary and it just looks like people have been the same patrons, but they've just been moved around to reset moved the around. shot. Certainly. Which makes sense from a production standpoint. Well, your same community would show up at the same time, right? I would think so, you again know. And again. I think Norm probably hits cheers <clears throat> the same time every day. Yep. The Zuvio hat is probably like the baseball hat of the Star Wars galaxy. I'm just going with the uh it is the lots of them around like <laughs> It's the running joke, uh, yeah, literally yeah. the running joke. Like I think we're gonna, we're gonna. It's been in uh, Mandalorian now, and it's been here. I mean, for a guy that that had his entire sequence cut from uh, um, uh, the Force Awakens, they they really do want to get their money's worth oh, out yeah. of this costume. Ah, they're making it up to him. Yeah. Okay. Like four of them. <laughs> All right, so entering uh, the uh, city hall, Boba and Fennec are met by what has to be the most inept clerk in the galaxy. Uh, and he begins to stonewall them by saying that uh, it doesn't look like you have an appointment and I don't see your name on the list. When the mayor's major domo finally arrives to uh, intercede, uh, he tries to explain away that the mayor's schedule is full for the remainder of the week. But uh, Boba is not impressed and he pushes past the counter 
letting himself into the mayor's uh, chambers. I tried to zoom up on the little uh, button piece on uh, the clerk's helmet there. Okay. And it really heavily resembles the same marking on the major domo. Oh, so maybe they've got. So it's got to be. Maybe it's a it's a city crest or it something. Could be, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit here about the the city clerk. I don't know if you guys uh, does this guy look familiar to anybody? Possibly. Okay, so uh, the actor's name is Galen Howard, and if you think you've seen him before, it's probably because you have, because he has a very long list of uh, television credits, and basically. He's like, you know, the, the almost famous, the guy that, you know, the, the forgettable guy that you see him and you go, oh, that's him. But uh, you may recognize him as <laughs> as a TV character Tommy Boyle from Brooklyn Nine-Nine or the infamous donut shop guy from the Justin Timberlake video for Can't Stop the Feeling. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. So as Boba and Fennec burst into the office, the major domo tries to apologize for the intrusion while the mayor asks, uh, who is this who enters unannounced? Boba tells him, you know, damn well who as the major domo introduces him as the new daimyo. Boba is clearly agitated by the remark and he tosses the prisoner to the ground asking, if you don't know who I am, then why did you send this man to assassinate me? You know, the major domo uh, trying to de-escalate the situation uh, gives a mediocre reassurance that the mayor had nothing to do with it. Now, the mayor, being a, a crafty guy, not only recognizes the man as a Nightwind assassin, but he also announces him as such. And at that, Boba asserts to the mayor, oh, so basically admitting his guilt. Uh, but the Athorian signals one of the guards who promptly shoots the assassin dead. And as the man falls, both parties react suddenly, and it's now become a standoff. Um, want to talk about the uh, the stuff going on in the background there, Andy? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, a lot of repeating characters there on the wall. We <clears> saw <throat> it originally in the trailer and wondered if there was something to it, and turns out, yes, there is. Uh, it may not be word for word, but a lot of the characters match up with a font created for Oga's Cantina down at the Galaxy's Edge. So another uh, another theme park reference. Yeah. So <laughs> chances are they're using this everywhere down there. It's funny because I just assumed that this was just a, a deco on the wall and I just wrote it off as being nothing. Yeah. Like I went through so many fonts and different languages and whatnot. And finally some characters matched up when I found this font. Yeah. 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 And uh, and so you, you've got a theory going on here. I do have a theory. Uh, to either side of the door entering there, there's three pillars Ta tablets tablets, maybe. tablets yeah. i guess can we call them that uh it's quite possible but uh there's three of them on either side and usually in any sort of political building when you find something like that sure it's sure it's usually like a town charter or a bill of rights or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it, i haven't translated it or anything but it could be all right well with attentions uh, now high, the mayor breaks uh, his silence by telling Boba that the Nightwind are not permitted to out, uh, to operate outside of hot space. Now, uh, I just want to talk about this for a second because remember last week we were talking about, and I, I went on the record last week and I I'd said uh, that I think that the, the mayor was the real the real villain here, the real crime boss we had sort of surmised or, or uh, posited that maybe he had cut a deal with, with bib. Yeah. Um, I still think there's something to that because this whole sequence plays out like a big chess game, I guess you could say. 
but if anything, he's a middleman now. The more well, and more than of anything. course, that kind of <laughs> that kind of comes out in the wash. Yeah, it's really man. I know I said that you know this is maybe the most space westerny thing going on, but at the same time, you can't you can't ignore the nods to uh, like the Soprano, the, the Godfather. Yeah. I mean, yeah. is this not the the like two well, crime <clears throat> heads talking to each other? All all politicians are sympathetic puppets to you know, the corporate interests or the criminal yeah, interests, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, anyway. So that's, it's, it's whether he's in charge, he's in charge in lieu of someone else. And that, that someone certainly seems to be whoever fills that vacuum. And, and now, now we've just taken, or we're about to take that to the next level. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we are. So, uh, the mayor then promptly thanks Boba for turning him in and he, ba- uh, he bids the major domo to reward him. And then Boba responds with that line from the trailer that he is not a bounty hunter. So uh, one of the themes in this episode that I want to talk about is, and of course it's it's been prevalent right from the, the get-go, is this sort of idea of transformation and, and rebirth. And I feel like this is sort of the first indication of that, you know, for us at least watching it, uh, this is the first real like on the nose, I'm not who you think I am, I am now somebody else. He's been evolving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get to who he is. Well, continuing on, the mayor says that he's heard otherwise, and he knows that Boba sits on the throne of his former employer. Asserting that Bib Fortuna was never his employer, uh, the two men continue their battle of wills, with the mayor countering that the throne belonged to Jabba. And Boba acknowledges with a yes, and now it's mine. Accepting the mayor's offering, Boba reminds the mayor that he should have delivered that in person when he was summoned, adding that the uh, he only holds his seat of office as long as the daimyo of Tatooine wishes it. So it's kind of like a mic drop right there. I mean, Jabba was this like we assume that he was this big crime boss, but like, did did anybody really think that he was in charge or basically ran the entire planet? Maybe the city, but not the planet. Well, that's what I thought too. I'm like, okay, you're just kind of a major somebody, you know, in your, the immediacy of where you live. But now I, I have to recontextualize immediacy to mean an entire planet. Yeah. All right. They are in hut space. Uh, is Tatooine part of hut space? I thought mm. it was. No, because the, the so. mayor just said they're not. The mayor just said that the, the Nightwing are not allowed to operate outside of and then shot the guy. Which, by the way, going back to that whole like, uh, you know, two crime uh, heads of crime families talking. Is that not the best way to, you know, solve a problem and still maintain your innocence? Like, right, even yeah, if he no, did, even no if the mayor did, coming out of that guy, right? Even if the mayor did order the hit, well, suddenly he's just an upstanding citizen who, uh, you know, exercised the power of his office. Yep. <laughs> All right. Turning to leave, the mayor play, uh, plays one final card by telling Boba that he should ask himself who really sent the night wind. Because as Boba had said, the mayor serves at his pleasure. Boba shoots back that he's no fool, and those who thought as much of him are now dead. The mayor finishes by telling Boba that uh, running a family is much more complicated than bounty hunting, and he should go to the sanctuary just to see what he means. We talked a little bit about that today, sort of in our uh, social media about uh, what do you think is easier bounty hunting or being a crime Lord? (laughs) They both have their difficulties, (laughs) but uh, one kind of leans way more into the harder section. I said, you know, as a bounty hunter, you know, uh, from my previous days in the military, you know, there's this expression, uh, one man, one kit. 
I feel like bounty hunting is kind of like that. You're responsible for yourself and the thing that you're going after. But to be a crime lord, I mean, imagine trying to juggle your seat knowing that everybody below you is vying to be you. Yep. Get rid of you. (laughs) All right. Where are we at here? Here we go. Back to the sanctuary. Back to the sanctuary. As Boba and Fennec walk into the sanctuary, one of the Twi'lek attendants alerts Madame Garza of the new arrivals. Looking tense, Garza quickly attends to Boba and Fennec, pretending like nothing is wrong. She offers to get them a table, but Boba isn't interested. Getting right to the matter, he simply asks her, what's going on here? She tries to deflect the question by asking in what respect. And when he tells her that the mayor said that he should come here because there's something he should know, Garza drops her charade and tells him that a pair of hut twins have come to lay claim to their late cousin's former holdings. Well aware of who the twins are, Boba asserts that they're too interested in the debauchery of Hutta to bother with any ambitions on Tatooine. That's our first uh, reference to, uh, well, I mean, the mayor had said hut space, but that's the first reference to the planet itself. Interesting little point here, and maybe it's just a, a colloquialism that I never really understood, was he calls it Hutta in this scene, but then later on, he uses the full name of the planet, Malhutta, later on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He could have. He he might have flubbed the line. He also he also name drops Mustafar when he tells her she's sweating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweating like a like a drop. Yeah, sweating like a gumta gumta on Mustafar. Anybody uh, pull up what a gumta was? No, (laughs) no, neither did I. New. It's a it's a no reference. Couldn't find one. Okay, fair enough. All right. So as the uh, the Twi'lek and the would be crime lord stand face to face, their attention is diverted by the approaching sound of a steady rhythmic drumbeat from outside, and the room goes silent. Uh, and Boba, along with his entourage, they go outside to see what the commotion is. And, uh, man, what an interesting treat we get this week. Oh. As, the drumming, as the drumming grows louder, Boba beckons Fennec to watch his back. Slowly, an enormous litter bearing two huts emerges from around the corner. Now, uh, I tried to count... Uh, it's somewhere around the neighborhood of 12 people carrying that litter. And uh, did you guys notice how, how hard yep. they were struggling? Yeah, they kept staggering and stuff oh during the whole God. scene. Yeah, that's they beautiful. really, they played that one so yeah. nicely. I really, really liked yeah. it. Um, well, not only that, the, uh, the physical look of the whole thing where it's like Boeing in the middle. Oh, absolutely. Do you want to stay with that for a second and talk about sort of the look of the scene overall? imposing yeah so i've got a couple things here i want to bring up one Mm. is i want to talk about the animation models for the huts themselves because uh more than a lot of the other things in the episode this week this one seems to be the 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 big fan outrage is is how they look and some people think they look great while other people think they look pretty terrible where do you guys sit on that they look like huts (laughs) they look great to me they 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 look they absolutely look fantastic. I, I, I couldn't be happier. Like it's a TV show. And I'm also aware that like um there were years where we didn't get anything but but words in a novel. Yep. And uh I'm just any anything like the like this, this is extension of that. Uh the people that are the people that are putting this together are trying their guts out. Um Oh my gosh, yes. We know as super fans, we call ourselves super fans. I didn't know about the tattoo. Um, <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Uh, 
but we know that it costs half a uh, you know a half a million dollars to make Java yeah, <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, and that practically, um, that's an impossible thing to pull off practically, um, especially. So you know what that also tells me that it's not a one-off. I don't think it's a one-off either. Right, and, like uh, that it's going to be a lot easier to do two huts, maybe fifty yeah. huts, maybe a yeah. planet of huts. Uh, I want to I, use the Clone Wars as a point of reference. Every season of the Clone Wars used the same basic animation assets, and each season got successively better at uh, texture mapping and uh, a lot of just the techniques of how to animate these things. But at the bare bones, the wireframe modeling and the, the basic asset is the same asset from season one right through to, well, I mean, where the clones are concerned, right up through and including the Bad Batch. Yeah, so they just, they better, better lighting models, better like, uh, you know, uh, essentially skins. I have a theory and a question uh, that I'm going to put to you guys and, and to everybody who's listening and watching. I'd like to know your thoughts on this. Think back to the first time. Remember when Star Wars came back to theaters in, in the 90s, back in what, 97, 96, 97, 97. Yeah. Remember this? Okay, so we're talking special edition here. And they mm-hmm. finally went back and they pulled out that uh, deleted scene of Han Solo with in the, Jabba the Hutt. Yes. And so they throw this like, by today's standards, horrific looking uh, uh, Jabba model. And then just one year later, we get a female hut. We get Gardula in uh, The Phantom Menace. And now, mind you, the, the animation model for Jabba looks a whole lot better than it did just a year previously. But those assets are probably still kicking around at ILM somewhere. And so I just think about this for a second. Do you think that the guy that the folks over at ILM went into their into the vault and dug up those old, old animation models? Because you got a male and you get a female and just redid them maybe i mean at least yeah the base point to jump off of it's super possible it's you know it's it's hard to tell i mean i i went and looked at those scenes and uh like to see a side by side well and i should have and i I didn't for this one but we'll we'll do that later on in the week up on our socials we'll uh put up the uh the animation models for the original special edition java and gardula and then you guys can have your say and and tell us what you think I had less of a problem, and 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 by less I mean zero problem with yep. with CGI huts, and more and by more I mean a very like one out of fifty <laughs> yeah, problem yeah, yeah. with CGI Trandoshans. So, you know, there is a fine line where I want to see some things practical, but I also know that I want to see a thousand hours of Star Wars on TV, yep. and I'm yeah, not yeah. going to get that if we blow our whole budget on the first two episodes. Yes, no, so, you're absolutely right. right. We got to bide our time here. True enough. All right, so the Hut twins, both of whom are nearly as slovenly as Jabba, they pull up short of the sanctuary, and the male sibling begins to speak, telling Boba that they have uh, business to discuss. Uh, Boba fearlessly fearlessly tells him that this is my territory, uh, but the male Hut retorts that it's Jabba's territory. In Hutties, too. Yes, in Hutties. Tells him in Hutties. The drummer steps forward, and he produces what, uh, what we basically understand to be a holographic uh, contract. So, um, want to talk about the contract for a bit? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know we, uh, both of you, I mean, it was just too, too much for me to try and, and dial in on. It proved both to be of too you much guys, for me too. T- yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, both of you guys took a crack at trying to translate it. And I know unless I said earlier, like, geez, maybe I should fire up my projector and, and, uh, and blow <laughs> it up to like a hundred inches and see if it's even possible to read it. 
but uh, yeah, I got I got nothing on that. The best I can tell, it's written in Orbesh. Uh, I agree with that. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, most basically speaking, yes. Absolutely I'll take you. Is. I'll take you one step further, and because I was able to get a few letters here and there, and, and yeah. a couple of reoccurring words, uh, I'll, I'd like to go out on a limb and say it's Orbesh, and it's phonetically Huddies. and that's why it that. appears to be gibberish. I would absolutely buy that. It's a lot of like that the Jabba speech conventions, if you will, like R's yeah. and K's jammed together and stuff like yep, that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, Boba refutes the document. He claims that, uh, I don't care what it says. This is Mos Espa and I am Daimyo. So um, the mail, sorry, I'll get to that in a second. There's a, there's a couple things going on here. We talked about this offline, but I, I want to talk about it sort of here in the context of the show. The contract. Um, there's really, at this point, there's only one organization that could have drafted that contract. And I'm going out here and, I, and I'm going to put it down. It's got to be the Hut Council. Do we agree on that? I would think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're we're skirting really, really close to Crimson Dawn. And the, the thing we don't know is we know how powerful they were during the reign of the Empire because yes. of comics. We don't yeah. know how powerful they are now uh, and how tight the Republic are in terms of criminal. Certainly, there seems to be, you know, there's a fair amount of criminal activity that gets overlooked. Seems to be going around, right? It seems to be <laughs> a little bit unchecked in the Outer Rim. And, and even Cara Dune, I think, mentions that they, they're yeah, not yeah. as good at policing the Outer Rim as they are, as the Empire was. Um, well, even that the, the, the line about uh, you want to go down, you want to travel into the core and tell them about it? Right. Like, right. Because everybody's outlaws at the end yeah, of the day. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going. I'm sorry. Okay. That's okay. I'm going to come back around to the contract here. There was a point there. I mean, for those of you who aren't in the know, uh, during the clone wars, right around the siege, uh, the time of the siege of Mandalore, we had this like Uber criminal organization get formed under, under mall. And that was the shadow collective where he had collectively put together. Basically he was building his army to take Mandalore, um, which included the, the Pike syndicate who we're going to see again later on in this episode. Um, the Black Sun, and uh, who else was in it? But and also at one point the Huts, yeah. right? They they had coerced, uh, co-opted the Huts into that as well. But then at the end of the the whole thing broke up, and the Huts just kind of went independent again. So yeah, say, so Hank, we don't we don't really have a canon explanation for the aftermath why? of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't, like, especially we don't have any information, much information. We have a few comics. That are yep. canon, but we don't have much information on the the fallout of Maul's death, and because ostensibly we could still have Hut and Pike agents within the Crimson Dawn organization, but sure, I think yeah. I, I agree with the idea that it's now one of many factions uh, again, and not the overall faction. Uh, so, yeah, which yeah, makes yeah. it more interesting because you're going to have crime families and crime syndicates work, you know, like. Uh, the five we, boroughs of New York. And I think you're going to see that. Yeah. 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 As we had said before, with these uh, major shift in galactic sort of supremacy without one all encompassing empire. And let's not, let's not uh, forget that the empire wasn't above going to the criminal element to do jobs that, uh, that they couldn't do or that they needed a very particular touch. So uh, of course, I mean, now there is like, they were just summoning, you know, one either. Right. Like, reach out to everybody and say, all right, get it done. You have a very nascent 
government in the new Republic who, as has already been established, is not necessarily effective at policing the outer rim. Sure. And then of course, power vacuums, right? You create this whole like upheaval where everybody's vying for their little slice of the, uh, of the, the criminal empire. And so no surprise that they're, uh, that they're independence again. All right. I want to get to the, the deep cut <laughs> and this one just, it tickles me in a way that uh, very few people certainly, and I don't know if the audience for our show will even get this. Well, they look very ticklish. Well, they, they sure do. At one point we see the, the male sibling actually starts, he's mopping his brow with an, what looks to be like an animal. And uh, it took me half a second when I saw the, the, the curved antenna on the top of its head. And I, I literally yelled at my TV, it's a who jib. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who jibs. Uh, these, these creatures, like from a visual standpoint, let's, <laughs> let's not kid ourselves here. These are some of the most ridiculous creatures ever, ever conceived for a Star Wars property. But for a certain uh, slice of the fan community, myself included, as a huge role-playing game fan, uh, they hold a special place. So uh, Hujibs actually made their first appearance in Marvel's original run, uh, Star Wars number 55, back in 1981. Since then, they've gone on to appear in uh, children's books, as well as uh, multiple editions of the role-playing game, as I had said. And now, what's funny is, just back in November... November of uh, 2021, so just a couple of months ago, they were finally canonized in uh, IDW Star Wars Adventures uh, number 21, the annual, where they appeared on the cover with another uh, original Marvel character, Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you can see the different portrayals of them here. I mean, the, the rabbit thing, no no wonder they put Jackson on the cover. <laughs> like maybe there's some some kind of kinship going on there. It's funny though. Um, we'll talk about the sort of the hujibs, the the legends and the legends info and the canon info on them are actually pretty similar. That they they uh, they are the dominant species on their homeworld, and uh, they're sentient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, tele telepathic, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, they. Uh, like, yeah, go ahead, Hank. Thus, they were used like. They're collected by like uh, crime crime lot bosses and then sent yeah, out yeah. and uh, used to gather information like uh, like little spy creatures. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. At least in legends, and uh, t- to the point where uh, Han Solo and Chewie had to secure one for Jabba. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in a mission, it was just a crazy. I, I can't remember if it was a children's record. I think that one was or something. Yeah, yeah. Plus, plus they were involved in all the the uh, legends novels crazy appearances in comics like nuts yeah but like you say kevin scott uh, the uh the author of the star wars adventures finally canonized he's in an interview he's like i've been trying to work them in for for in in an organic way that they would let me work them in forever (laughs) and uh, you gotta think somebody up there's like what the hell's a hujib and what what do you want to do with it just fantastic (laughs) oh you have the you have the planet of the hujibs record right there yeah yeah so i mean if if they can do if they can do uh, a giant green, uh, you know, anthropomorphized rabbit, mm-hmm. um, really, hujibs are nothing. Like, are they not? I mean, let's be realistic here. Are they not basically the the dribbles of Star Wars? <laughs> no, it's true. I remember last year I said if they canonized Jax, I'd probably have to rethink my like dedication to the whole thing. And then when they did, I was just like, I'm just gonna 
Ten, I didn't so, say that. I'm just going to go the other way. <laughs> let let me ask forward. you on the subject of Jackson, when when uh, the Hasbro did the Black Series uh, novel figures, did you buy the Jackson figure? I, I couldn't get a hands on oh. it, but I certainly wanted to. <laughs> I did want to. I, I mean, and that was the joke. They're going to make a figure of that, and I'm done. And then I, as soon as they, I was he's like, cool. oh, I, yeah, he's great. Of all I mean, of all of the novel figures, he's the one that I went for. All right, so I, I'm going to close up on the Hujib thing just with one little tidbit, and this is the, again, whether they ever come back to this or not, in my own head canon, uh, that hut, by the way, just absentmindedly tosses the Hujib after it, it bites him on the finger. That's right. So there is now a Hujib running around in Mos Espa. You know, left to its own devices. <laughs> if, it, if it shows up again, I would be, I would really be interested to see them do something with that and, and dive into more of the we're telepathic creatures and and let's have a conversation with that. There's Probably a lot of never going to happen, but you know, based on what we see later on in the episode, you know, <laughs> who's to say that? Well, you it, go it down that well, road for sure. There you go. We're gonna we're gonna talk extensively about that when we get to it too. Yeah. All right. So uh, let me just bring this up here. So as the um, uh, as the female hut chuckles, uh, her brother retorts, uh, "Is that so?" While an imposing figure steps from behind the litter, it's a mountain of a Wookiee, and he's decked out in spiked armor and sports a very large blaster rifle. Now, Boba remarks, "Well, you can bring as many gladiators as you wish, but these are not the death pits of Dur, and I am not a sleeping Trandoshan guard." Mm-hmm. Holy cow! All right, so let's get into this here. This is uh, this is a uh, uh, is a new, ca- relatively new canon character who just showed up in uh, in the Vader comic books. Yeah, two thousand fifteen or so. Twenty, yeah, twenty fifteen. So newish. Yeah. Uh, and it took me a while to figure out. Now I don't know how you, I don't know how you pronounce this. Black Chrysanthemum. There you go. Chrysanthemum. Chrysanthemum. Uh, Chrysanthemum is how I've heard it pronounced. Chrysanthemum. Kersantan. Black Kersantan. Okay. Wookiee Bounty Hunter first appeared in Darth Vader number one uh, in 2015. Turns out that um, uh, uh, Boba Fett and, uh, and Black Kersantan actually know each other. All right. So now I'm going to, we're going to stick with this guy for a bit because this was probably one of the most uh, jaw dropping moments. For, I think for a lot of people, this, this had come up quite a bit in the last few days about who is this guy? What's, you know, what's the relationship? Where does he fit in? Now, Hank, you had said uh, we talked offline, and you were talking about how evil this guy is. You want to run through that uh, that a bit? Um, <clears throat> he's so he's, uh, and it's this is one of the one times when I feel like I'm so glad I read the comics in real time because um, this is a this is a really deep comic cut. Um, he's not liked by other Wookiees. Uh, and, and by, by not liked by other Wookiees, he's not welcome on the home world. If yeah, other like Wookiees see him, they shun him or they yeah. try to, you know, but they're not, he's not the Wookiee to mess with. Um, he's fought Chewbacca and it was, it was a draw, but Chewbacca was wounded. It's, it's, it's sort of like, I, I, I give him the win, except it wasn't to the death. Right. Um, he, he's fought Obi-Wan uh, and it took, and like put laid hands on him. Like, and it took, uh, there you go. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> he had to deflect a, bl- a blaster bolt back at him, t- uh, to, uh, to get away from him. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, he, he, he's, he fought, he fought C-3PO once and 3PO actually beat him because when he punched <laughs> through 3PO's chest, he was electrocuted oh. <laughs> and rendered unconscious. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> so it's actually, that's actually canon. But the thing is, he's, he's, a he's, he, he was enslaved just like regular Wookiees, but then he, yeah. he, he, you know, he's that, uh, the bad guard, if you will, like the, you know, the, 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 the prisoner that would rather align himself with the, uh, with his captors, with his captors. and, and well, learned that just... he could you know, get extra food, extra, you know, so he started to win in the gladiator, but he sure, sure. specialized in killing Wookiees or recruiting other Wookiees to enslave them. And he got a just crazy rep- reputation well, here's, uh, for being here's a little, anti-Wookiee Wookiee. A little, a little tidbit, right? I mean, talking about, uh, you know, we already know that Wookiees and Trend Oceans uh, uh, societally do not uh, really care for each other. I mean, Trend Oceans, we know uh, uh, Robert Rodriguez character, uh, Doc Strassi, presented uh, Boba with a Wookiee pelt last week, which was very upsetting for a lot of people. Uh, and now here we have this Wookiee who is, uh, you know, as you say, ostracized from the home world, did not start out as a bounty hunter. And as you say, came up as a gladiator, uh, once used a bleeding Wookiee as bait for a, a bunch of Trandoshan slavers. And I, and I think that the line spoken by Boba about this isn't the death pits of Dur is almost certainly, you know, a callback to that comic event. Yeah, he uh, he's despicable. He's 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 betrayed, and he's got huge cojones. Yeah, well, <laughs> he yeah, betrayed yeah, Vader yeah, yeah. in the middle of a mission. Uh, <laughs> who who does that? And he's standing there. You saw him standing there. Uh, in the comics, it's it's kind of left vague, but uh, right, right. Um, there's some other crazy stuff about him if they get right into the character. Like he's uh him and boba know each other like have been partners on many jobs before in fact yeah, vader yeah, yeah. hired hired them together to do sort of separate ends of the same job if you will he sent uh Ker santan after a um uh one of the emperor's actual acolytes to to try to find out where exegol was and at the same time sent boba after skywalker oh wow um uh but but for me like although he's very cool looking i don't think and everybody wants to see no, he's absolutely go toe to toe. I think he's yeah, he's dynamite looking. Uh, I think what you're going to see is is Boba recruit him to his side. He he certainly has no loyalty to to Huts or to to the Empire or to the Republic. Or he'll he'll go where the coin is. And if Boba's got the coin, and yeah. what, what we do see is, and we're reminded of a few, in a few scenes is that the his palace is starkly empty. So yes. I, I I would not be surprised if if we added you know a menagerie if you will of crazy characters and for me well, there's another comic book character that this puts us adjacent to so heavily yeah. and it's such a cool oh yeah 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 cool character and that's dr afra dr afra and right, two right. droids and then it, it actually there's so many periphery things that we could get into there stana saros the the uh the, the wife of han solo if you will there's so many yep, cool things yep. that could happen here but mostly dr afra is the thing that I'm super excited about uh, in live action because the longtime partners with this character, yeah, 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 uh, and um, and, and, uh, and a really, yes. really yeah, yeah. well written character, Re- very, very cool female, strong female lead, and very the closest thing that Star Wars has to Indiana Jones, but just amoral as you wouldn't, <laughs> just, just awful, <laughs> awful, like just amoral. Well, there's a there's a big coincidence here. Last week we talked about, and I had said I thought that last week's episode, that episode one, might have been doing something uh, to set up uh, the spinoff Obi Wan, uh, the Obi Wan show. 
That's right. Is it not? I want to touch a little bit more on that aspect because Black Chrysanthemum is instrumental. Like he is directly, last week we talked about the water tax. Yes. Well, lo and behold, if Black Chrysanthemum isn't directly tied to that, I mean, when, uh, as you say, when Obi-Wan was in exile and the, the Nikto, the bikers or Jabba's goons were running around collecting water from everyone, Obi-Wan was protecting the Lars homestead from the water tax. That's and right. so, as you say, <laughs> Obi-Wan was basically using them to stay in shape. <laughs> he was like beating <laughs> them barehanded. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So then when, when Jabba catches wind that they can't collect the water tax from this one farm, who does he hire? Yep. Well, he hires Black Kersantan, and uh, Obi-Wan's forced to draw his lightsaber. And uh, that's how we end up getting this crazy, uh, where is it here, the, the, the wound over his yeah. eye. So, I mean, two weeks in a row, I, I don't think that that's, uh, I mean, everything that we've seen, we've said it before, nothing in Star Wars is is not yeah, intentional. It's always intentional. Right, right. So, uh, I'm banking that we're going to see him, we're going to see some version of uh, probably this comic panel in the Obi-Wan series. Quite possible. I'm banking on it. Now, did I read something proper where this particular Wookiee has had his fists enhanced with like metal or something embedded yes. in them just to yes. make them hit that much. Hit harder. Think brass, think brass knuckles, uh, implants, if you implants. will, like cybernetic. Oh, but so what I did note that as they were panning across his crazy mountainous form there, yeah, he yeah, was, yeah. he was wearing external, uh, oh, right, right. Like gauntlets that just covered his knuckles in, in, in the live oh. action version. So whether they've, just taken that and ran with it or whether that, you know, it, it, it might, it's a lot easier to show like a pair of gloves that have spikes on them than to go into this, all this backstory. About By the way, he's got and, the cybernetic right, like, brass knuckles under his hand fur. Right. So yeah, it, it no, might just be sense. easier for visual purposes for real quick, just to have it. Sure. You, know, you sure. can see it. And the first time he hits somebody with it, let's see if we can. Right. Dent. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I mean, that it, that was a huge thrill for me, and I knew nothing about the character prior to this week. So, And a crazy um, reminder about all the plethora, the, the veritable cornucopia, yep, if you will, yep. of bounty hunters. That, that, that are out there. Could, we're going to get a landslide still. We're, I mean, I'm guaranteeing we're going to get the, the, the crazy versions of, if we of don't, Dengar and Bosk. Well, and there IG. you go. I, I guarantee it. All right. Well, let's get back to uh, get back on track here for a second. Okay. Uh, Boba reasserts that uh, this is his territory and he tells the huts go back to Nal Hutta and speaking quietly from behind her fan the female hut murmurs something to her brother who then informs Boba that uh, you've offended my sister and she thinks uh, we should kill you now when the Wookiee tightens his grip on his rifle Fennec senses the rising tension and she cocks her rifle in return Boba makes one final play by telling the twins that uh, after the death of their cousin Jabba Bib Fortuna usurped his territory, and he in turn killed him. And with that, all of Jabba's former holdings now belong to him. And if they want it, they will have to kill him for it. Now, the two huts, they confer quietly as the crowd looks on. And when the huts turn their attention back to Boba, they relent, saying that bloodshed is bad for business. And this can be dealt with later. With a warning of sleep lightly, bounty hunter, the huts and their mercenary Wookiee depart. As the huts turn to leave, Black Chrysanthemum lets out a guttural growl as he stares down Boba Fett one last time before stepping off. Fennec joins Boba at his side, remarking that uh, um, 
their huts, and they would need permission to kill them. Optimistically, Boba says, well, maybe it's settled. But when Fennec asks him if, she, if he really thinks that, he says, no. <laughs> Again, uh, bringing into question right back to the contract, who wrote the contract and who do we have to ask permission from? Yep. So I'm thinking it's the Hut Council. I'd be surprised if it's one of the other criminal organizations. But as you say, you know, we are so close uh, to Crimson Dawn that, uh, and I mean, people are, I think at this point are kind of, I don't want to say expecting it, but there, there mm-hmm. is some, some heavy anticipation that we might get that Kira, uh, uh, Kira cameo. Right. And then that puts us, you know, Han Solo adjacent. And if, right. if, if Boba has an arch enemy, well, there you right? go. Right. You know, so yeah. yeah, yeah. But he's not a bounty hunter anymore. So maybe they can no, work something yeah. out. Possibly. Maybe. All right. I mean, yeah. Back at the palace, Boba lays uh, in his back to pod. His eyelids twitch, and we know that the dreams are back. Now back at the Tuscan camp, a newly freed Boba Fett learns his way around a gaffy stick as the warrior woman trains him. Now the woman's lesson is harsh, and her corrections are even more so. When Boba, uh, Boba incorrectly parries her blow, she slaps at his training stick and then slaps him in the face. Boba seethes with anger, but he steadies himself. Now, she uh, she shows him the proper way to hold the gaffy stick, but Boba balks that he is holding it that way. Squaring off again, the lesson continues, only this time she disarms him, sending his training stick uh, several feet away. Gathering uh, his weapon and some humility, Boba sincerely asks her to show me. As the day moves on and the sun uh, the suns begin to set, the gaffy lessons continue and Boba is finally starting to catch on. Using the grip that the woman showed him, he manages to hold his own. Several children and their massives uh, sit nearby and watch. By the way, where did all the massives come from? It seemed like they only had, like, what, one yeah, or two last, last week? Last week they had one. This week it seems that they've kind of got whatever the plot tells them they need. Yeah, <laughs> Tribe seems bigger this week, too. It does seem bigger. Well, yeah. Tribe seems conveniently bigger sometimes, and then other times, not so much. Well, they don't just sit around all day. They're out gathering stuff. I, well, that, so that's another thing. And I guess we can talk about that right now is there's a couple of like, just like mundane, like shots. We see, what are they farming? I guess, it, I mean, it's irrelevant. The the fact, the most important part is that we actually see Tuscan life. Like what is Tuscan life other than raiding, pillaging, killing? No, the, these guys are, uh, these people are farming, whatever it is that they're farming. So, the, I mean, yeah. there is a, an established society and as we said before everybody's got a job yeah exactly and we both like it all right suddenly a wart erupts from the sand and interrupts the training as the creature frantically tries uh, tries to hop away a tuscan shoots it with his cycler rifle and the children and their massives tear off to retrieve the carcass Mm -hmm. uh and of course the wart uh it's the uh the creature that we saw back in return of the jedi the spiky creature that uh that basically uh, lick the fr- the fly off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Now, do we think they were actively hunting this thing though? Because no, I think in their little. I think it looked like it slipped out of a trap to me. It, so I, is it that, or is it you know in the as we're raking the ground farming, did we accidentally disturb it and now it's making a run for it? That's or is possible. this, or they were raking the ground specifically to set it off? I don't know, but I will say this. Um, 
the wart, although it usually eats insects and rodents, it has a, a venomous bite. And the bite, uh, the venom is actually strong enough to kill a bantha. So no wonder they shot and killed it. Yeah, right. At first I thought, are they, are they getting it for food? But they're probably getting it to, to protect their mounts. True. Yeah. All right. Suddenly a roaring noise uh, sounding remarkably like a crate dragon uh, bellows from across the valley floor. And we see a very long cylindrical shape rolling across the sand. The warrior woman beckons the children to get off the dune, and they quickly rush back to the relative safety of the camp. Many of the adults arm themselves with rifles, and they take up firing positions along the dune. Blaster bolts whiz past Boba's head, and we know that it's not a crate dragon. One of the bolts strikes a bantha, while another takes down one of the Tuscans. It's a speeder train, and it's moving fast. As chaos erupts around them, Boba grabs two of the children and ushers them behind the dead bantha. Peering out from behind the Bantha corpse, Boba spots their assailants, and it's members of the Pike Syndicate, and they're shooting indiscriminately. For a few seconds, it's sheer chaos, and several more Tuscans are killed. This is the third is, time I, I, I stood up. The Pikes, I mean, <coughs> excuse I me. Couldn't, I should have just stood up the whole episode because I kept going. <laughs> Black Santan, I stood up. Yeah. Pots, yeah I stood yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Ooh, Pikes, I stood up. Who <laughs> I stood up. I'm probably the only one who really did that. <laughs> uh, watching the, the sequence uh, straight through, it's just a, a couple of seconds. Like it's When I say chaos, it really is because it oh, takes yeah. all of what? Five, six seconds, 10, 10 seconds for that train to pass and the amount so. of, of, uh, of destruction those, that's caused those riflemen on the train are great shots too those are those are serious well, i was gonna that say that yeah. the, these guys uh the marksmanship from the pikes apparently is really really good serious um, the analogy to the i'm gonna go back to the the western analogy again can you imagine like this is this not the uh i mean you can call it the train or uh or the the mail wagon you know the term riding shotgun how it comes from the, the guy sitting up on the, mm -hmm. you know, on the seat who basically, you know, when you're in Indian country, you know, you shoot anything that's not you. And that's exactly what, what they did. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I thought it was an interesting analogy. Oh yeah. Okay. So, uh, and then just like that, the shooting stops and, uh, there's nothing left but to tend to the wounded and gather the dead. So later that night, uh, the tribe gathered to cremate their fallen. It's a somber occasion, and Boba does not appear to be unaffected by the events of the day. Stepping away from the fire to collect his thoughts, Boba spots a group of speeder bikes passing by in the distance. With a renewed sense of motivation, Boba approaches the chief with a plan to stop the train. Well, the chief tells him, you can't stop the train. But Boba tells him that he needs a rifle and his stick and that he'll be back by the morning. And then we get one of the one of the most wow we get this really awesome callback um, with his cycler rifle in hand and his gaffy stick slung across his back. Boba walks out into the night, coming upon a dimly lit building. Boba pauses for a moment before carrying towards it. Now uh, we got to talk about this building here for a second. Because this is, <laughs> this is a major. <laughs> <laughs> this is a major callback. Um, this is the fabled Tashi Station. Amazing. Uh, yeah, this is where you got to go when you want some power converters. Mm -hmm. All right, or so for those of you not friends, yeah, absolutely. Tashi Station uh, cut from all of the uh, all of the original uh, film. It did get thrown into some of the the Blu-ray specials, 
So you did get to see some of it, but here it is in all of its glory. Um, so the, the building is actually a mosque and it's on, it's actually known as uh, Sidi Jamur and it's located on an, uh, the Island of Durba, uh, which is obviously in Tunisia where the rest of the film was, uh, was filmed. But this is the, uh, the, the, the fabled sequence where uh, Luke uh, basically in the novelization and in the radio play, Luke witnesses the, the battle between Vader's star destroyer and Leia's uh, tent of four. That's why he's the, the macro binoculars, he basically uh, runs inside the station and tells his friends, Hey, Hey, I just seen the thing. And they do the, the, they tease him. Oh yeah. Always with your head in the stars, blah, blah, blah. They don't believe him. Yeah. But then Biggs, his friend, Biggs Darklighter, uh, who you don't meet until later on in the movie when they, when Luke joins the rebellion. Yeah. This sequence is Biggs telling Luke, uh, this is it. This is goodbye for real. Um, I've jumped ship and I've, I've joined up with the rebellion. Which is really eclectic. Yeah. Which is really sad and unfortunate that we didn't get that organically in the movie because it just adds so much. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to the, the third act of a new hope and you know, it'll be just like uh, bullseye and womp rats back home. Like, wait a minute, these guys know each other. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, it's a a cool building. We've never got, uh, got to see it in this kind of uh, detail before. So I'm glad that it's made its uh, on-screen appearance. All right. Inside the station, the Nikto bikers from last week uh, carouse the bar and they intimidate the locals. Andy, you noticed uh, uh, this week there's a, oh, it looks like some kind of arcade game that they're playing mm-hmm. there. And it's a possible nod to uh, a couple things. Uh, in the Disney Infinity 3.0 game, right. within the Force Awakens playset, you can actually unlock various arcade-style games to play on this little hollow game oh. unit. And it's like an updated version of asteroids basically really but uh is it vector based like that or vector with a whole lot more i looked at it and i'm like i can't really equate it to one video game but i mean it it has elements of like we talked about this earlier it looks like asteroids it looks a bit like centipede there's some like missile command elements in there yeah i wonder if it's an actual playable game it could be (laughs) there's going to be some more video game connections uh, come up in this episode that are going to come much later on that that um i thought were even more exciting Mm -hmm. all right Uh, a pair of uh, nikto's play a video game that harkens back to the vector-based graphics of games like asteroid and at a nearby table uh there's a couple uh who scowl uh scowl at the biker's antics As the Nikdos continue their revelry, one of them helps himself to the snacks on the couple's table and then takes the drink right out of the man's hand. The man, now pushed to his breaking point, blurts out, it's not right. When the biker turns around and says, did you say something? The man stands up and he loudly repeats himself. I said, it's not right. The room gets quiet for a moment and not impressed. The biker throws the man up against the wall and begins to beat him with a shock stick. And the woman gets up to try and help but another gang member holds her in her seat. All right. So we were talking a little bit before about that scene in the radio play. And that's in the novelization about Luke seeing the battle yeah. with his macro binoculars. Well, here it is. This is a, another cut scene where they basically make fun of him and uh, they don't get it because by the time they come out, he gets them to go up on the roof. The ships have already passed and uh, they can't see them anymore. But what's really cool is these two people, uh, these are a throwback to a, to, to a new hope. These are Luke's childhood friends, Cammy and Fixer. 
All right. So uh, Fixer, his real name is, uh, his character's name is Lays Leno. Is another one I'm going to mess up. Lenozer. Lane Lenozner is a friend of Luke, and he's actually married uh, to Cammy. So back in uh, 1977, he was uh, played by actor Anthony Forrest, who also played the stormtrooper that Ben used the Jedi mind trick on. Nice. You don't you don't need to see his identification. And uh, now here in 2022 for the book of Boba Fett, played by actor uh, Skylar Bible, who has basically been in a whole bunch of TV things that you've probably never heard of. <laughs> I know that's terrible to say, but it's true. I, I didn't recognize a, a darn thing that he'd been in. And then, of course, there's his wife, uh, Cammie uh, Lonosner, Lonosner uh, played by, now, back in 1977, this uh, actor, uh, Kathleen Norris Stark, professionally known as Koo Stark. She's an American photographer who's probably best known for her real-life romance with Prince Andrew between 1981 and 1983. Uh, most recently, she's actually come back into uh, prominence because she came to the defense of Andrew over his uh, connection to uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Hmm. In fact, Andrew is the godfather of, uh, of her daughter. Uh-oh. All right, jumping ahead to, uh, to now... Our modern Cami is played by uh, Mandy Kowalski, who is a stunt performer and has been on like a ton of Marvel and DC projects. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. So uh, I want to go, <laughs> I want to talk about the bikers here for a bit because we really, yeah, we, we, um, we talked about them last week and kind of theorized sort of who, what, when, where uh, the whole water tax thing. I'm not sure that that's completely dead in the water yet. It may or may not be, but I mean, let's take a good look at this guy. Last week we asserted that the, uh, the tagging on the building was the, uh, now Hatties letter K. Now we can see that that same, uh, marking it's on all the bikers jackets. It's on all of them. It's on uh, the speeders as well. It is on the speeders. Mm-hmm. So, uh, apparently, uh, so the, the lower rocker there, it says, uh, Tatooine. And uh, this guy, who is the only other Nikto to have any uh, additional writing on the back of his jacket, apparently his name is Emmett. (laughs) That's what it translated to. Well, I kind of went through the credits and I'm like, at first I said to you, Hank, I said, do do we think that this guy, that's a stunt performer and that's his real name? And we both kind of went, yeah, it's got to be. Right. I I could not find an Emmett in the credits anywhere. So... The etymology of the name, it means universal. So that could literally just be generic thug you know maybe <laughs> like, that's pretty maybe, crafty yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. the other thing going on here is the uh the club patch now the club patch looks like uh looks like a, a rancor skeleton a rancor skeleton carrying what looks to be like a stone hammer superimposed over that same now huddy's letter k mm-hmm. now i've got a theory on this <laughs> Do you want to go down the rabbit hole, gentlemen? Down we go. <laughs> okay. Interesting tidbit here. Uh, back in the Clone Wars, there was an ARC trooper who just happened to be named Hammer. Um, would it surprise you to know that he served in the Rancor Battalion? Hmm. Okay, so keep going here because there's more to go on. <laughs> so this guy, Hammer, actually would never, he wasn't named. He and, and three of his, his uh, buddies were not named. Uh, but later on in an interview, Dave Filoni actually named all three of them. So this particular uh, clone, Hammer, in the Rancor Battalion, 
gets called back. The whole battalion gets called back to Camino to defend the cloning vats at one point when, uh, when they invaded, uh, when the separatists invaded Camino. Let's talk about the real world origins of biker gangs here for a second. And if you're, if you're familiar with sort of earth's own history on motorcycle clubs, that the, the origins come from, uh, soldiers and airmen returning from world war II, starting these clubs. And of course, now they've been perverted to, you know, things like the hell's angels and the, the, the black diamond guys and all the other criminal organized crime bike gangs out there. Is it that far of a stretch to think that, you know, arc trooper hammer, retired to Tatooine and started a speeder bike club that has now been perverted into this gang. It's possible hammer from the rancor <clears throat> battalion, or um, maybe he's you know, the actual head of it. Maybe he's still alive. Could be. It's a, it's a neat thought. I I mean, it, 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 it's wonderful thought actually, but it does require some leaps. It requires that that's <laughs> actually a hammer in the hand of a rancor. Um, uh, so, we're, I mean, that stuff's inconclusive, but I will say that there's <clears throat> on that tablet, there's a recurring name or yeah. there's a recurring word. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. But it's KW and then two letters I can't get. But on, the, uh, on the hut contract. On the hut contract. And yeah. it, it recurs four to five times. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that one or both of our huts have a K name. Yeah. And I'm going to oh, say that yeah, these yeah. are, these are just low level thugs trying to, Impress for them. Impress the gang. Impress yeah. the, the boss yeah, yeah, by yeah, yeah, yeah. tagging it up and oh, maybe the word of the K. Yeah, like again, it could, it could just be like a a simple like, you know, it's not meant to be anything like Jabba's tattoo. It, was it never looks a lot be. like an old Klingon symbol. I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Never meant to be anything. It just became this thing because right. That's that's the nature of you know uh, digging into Star Wars lore. We have to name everything and give context to every you know <laughs> all the minutia. Everything yeah. has to be something. It can't just be like oh, there's a cool looking tattoo. That's why we know who Pliff <laughs> the Hujib is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. There, where are we at? Um, when the station door slides open, the bikers pause their assault to see what's going on. Appearing in doorway, it's Boba with a rifle in hand, and he casually strides into the room. Now, the Nictos are not too impressed by that, and they gather their weapons as the man looks them up and down. One of the Nictos lunges at Boba with his club, but he deflects the blow with his rifle, knocking him out with a blow from the barrel. Did you catch that one of the clubs is the uh, Nicto, uh original Kenner Nicto weapon? The, the crazy, yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. weird staff that they come with, like one of the weak ways, I think, one of the skip yeah. guards. Yeah, yeah awesome. Another biker draws a pistol, but Boba gets around from his rifle off, uh, striking him in the chest. As the melee continues, Boba fends off yet another biker with his rifle, beating the man to the point where he actually breaks the rifle in two. Kind of love that, actually. Uh, I did. You know, it's funny. How he, he's like, I'll stop the train. I'll take a rifle and stick, and I'll be back in the morning, and he gets one shot off. <laughs> Just <laughs> destroys it. But hey, it's Boba, and uh, that's okay. Unslinging his trainer gaffy stick, Boba squares off against the last three bikers. Using his newfound skills, he quickly subdues two of them, finishes off the last man by uh, throwing him through a plate glass window. Now, so if this good. is not the most, Western you know, thing. exactly, the bar brawl where the <laughs> the guy behind the counter says nothing throughout the whole thing. He just casually stands there watching it as it unfolds. Even, af- even after glass. Boba takes the drink starts and puts wiping it down, the glass he starts off wiping the, the glass off the counter. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, 
Oh, this happens all the time. Yes. <laughs> Cowering in a corner, Cammy and Fixer watch in awe as Boba casually swaggers up to the bar and downs an abandoned drink. The barkeep, who has remained silent throughout the entire ordeal, just watches Boba leave and then wipes up the broken glass off the illuminated bar top. And once outside, Boba surveys the parked speeder bikes and he knows that his plan is now coming together. All right. The next morning, Boba speeds across the desert on one of the Nikto gang members' speeder bikes. The other bikes are all neatly tied off behind him. When he gets back to the Tuscan camp, the, the sound of the approaching speeders puts the camp on alert and many men take up their rifles, anticipating some kind of trouble. The chief steps out from his tent to see what the commotion is, while the lookout peers through a set of macro binoculars. Recognizing Boba, he signals the camp to stand down as the train of speeder bikes rolls in. Again, so I want to go back to the Western analogy. Boba just, Boba's a horse thief. Basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a horse thief. Totally but he stole is. it from the bad guys, so it's okay. Yeah, that's right. Like you said, he's surrounded by people that are worse. So, well, that's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Stepping up to the chief, Boba offers the speeders as a gift, and as soon as he does, the rest of the camp, in a callback to A New Hope, start tearing the bikes apart, <laughs> just <laughs> like when they were ripping Luke's speeder apart. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a callback to uh, the ransacking of Luke's X thirty four. But the moment is short as Boba stops them, yelling, "This, these are mine! Stop! Stop!" I will train you. I will teach you to ride them. All right. Sometime later, Boba begins training the Tuscans on riding the speeder bikes. Uh, in a humorous moment, he tries to use the Bantha analogy, but they don't get it, even if we do. Showing them the basic controls for go and stop, the first volunteer hops on and promptly speeds off in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> I loved, that way. I just loved how they, they the sound effect how they just kept like droning on like oh he's still going. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be back. All right. A little bit later uh, during the day on a training ride the truck uh, the truggins the Tuscans <laughs> struggle. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. How many times am I going to put my foot in my mouth tonight? We'll see. Okay. On a training ride the Tuscans struggle not the Truggles Stuskin. <laughs> the Tuskins struggle with their machines. As one fiddles with the handlebar controls, another dips the steering vanes into the sand. But they're moving at a slow pace, and it's not too long before they have the hang of it, and they move on to the next phase of training. The plan is to board the moving train, and in order to do that, the Tuskins will have to leap onto it from the speeder bikes. As expected, the early attempts, they don't go too well, but with persistence, they do eventually get it. But it's not just the adults that have a role to play in taking down the train. The Tuscan boy, now befriended to Boba, is instructed to signal with a small mirror when the train approaches, and he takes to that enthusiastically. With the speeder training concluded, Boba and the warrior woman continue with the gaffy stick training. Both teacher and student move in tandem as they perform a cadence with their weapons. A group of children looks on, copying their movements with play sticks. Facing off once more, the two warriors begin to spar. The woman tries to rend the gaffy stick from Boba's hand, but he's learned his lesson about grip, and he holds on. Hooking the end of her gaffy stick, Boba disarms, it flinging, disarms her, flinging it into the air, but the woman makes a diving roll and catches it before it hits the ground. In one fell swoop, she trips him flat on his back and brings her gaffy to bear, stopping short of delivering the killing blow. 
Instead, she offers her she offers her hand to help him up so that they can continue to spar. All right. So that was the next lesson. I was going to say, did we want to talk about uh, Joanna for a second? Just yeah, to, we uh, I mean, the whole fan community has been gushing about this woman. Um, and it, we would be remiss not to to talk about her. I know we mentioned her last week and we we brought up all of her credits. Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, et cetera, et cetera. But like videos how, are showing up. How yeah, how good is she in this episode? Awesome. Oh yeah. It's fantastic too. Um the when she gets to the train and, and we're gonna cover that uh, a lot closer when we get to it. It's just she, she has scene. my favorite comedic. I mean, it might even be my favorite beat of the whole episode. But it's it's oh, it's, yes. it's played for comedy. But it's my yep. favorite moment. Oh, of the whole it totally episode. is. It totally is. All right, let me get to uh, our next one here. So, meanwhile, uh, a Tuscan lookout spots something in the distance uh, with his binoculars, and he sounds an alarm. The train is coming, and it's go time. The camp is a flurry of activities. Everyone moves to their battle positions. Rifles are handed out and snipers take up firing positions while Boba and the, and the other riders mount their speeder bikes. Boba shouts, warn the others, and the Tuscan boy takes off running as the riders speed away. As the train rapidly approaches the camp, Boba and his Tuscan posse speed toward it in an attempt to get behind it. At the same time, both the Tuscans and the pikes begin to exchange fire. Despite moving at a tremendous speed, the pikes proved to be uh, capable marksmen, hitting uh, Bantha and Tuscan alike. One of the pikes notices the Tuscan posse moving up the side of the train, and he focuses his fire on them, knocking out one of the bikes. Meanwhile, the Tuscan boy, having reached his position, uses the mirror to signal another group of, of snipers pre-positioned further away from the camp. The Tuscan snipers managed to take out a few of the pikes, creating enough of a distraction for Boba's posse to pull up alongside the train and to throw grappling hooks. As the first two Tuscans attempt to climb on board, a pike shoves a blaster through the open window and shoots one of them off the side. Boba manages to dodge the falling man, but his speeder gets damaged from a subsequent round. One of the Tuscan snipers takes out uh, one of the pikes, allowing two more men to climb onto the roof. A third Tuscan struggles with one of the pikes in a window, and he's knocked from the rope, landing hard on the bottom lip of the train car. But Boba sees the man in trouble, and he drops back to help him, pulling him onto his damaged speeder. Throwing a grappling hook of his own, Boba and the Tuscan swing to the train just as his bike goes up in a fiery explosion. Can't blow up a horse. You can't, no, you can't blow up a horse. That's so true. All right. A pike spotting the two men on the side of the train. Uh, spots the two men on the side of the train, but before he can do anything to stop them, Boba hooks him with his gaffy stick and pulls him out the open window. Now, joined up with the rest of the group, Boba's posse begin making their way to the front of the train, leaping from car to car. Along the way, several pikes emerge from rooftop hatches, and the group plows through them until they are eventually pinned down by three gunmen at one time. Pinned down from the front of the train and taking harassing fire from behind, the Tuscan warrior woman who's been following on her speeder bike sees that more pikes are closing in on her people. In what might be one of the most spectacular action sequences in TV history, she puts her speeder on a collision course with the train. Careening toward it as fast as she can, she hops up onto the seat and at the right moment leaps from the bike as it crashes into the train. Can't do that with a horse either. No, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> 
The explosion is nothing short of spectacular and not surprisingly garners the attention of the train's conductor droid. The droid uses multiple limbs to work several controls simultaneously in an effort to divert power to the train's large jet engine. All right, let's talk about that for a second because this is a, this is the other video game reference I wanted to bring up because this is like super duper cool. Yeah. Um, the display box, uh, I think, is very much a callback to the pod racing scene in episode one uh, when Anakin had to uh, divert power uh, from one engine to the other. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, uh, the Arabesh translation in this uh, reads core on one end and boost on the other end. And as soon as I saw boost, it dawned on me that uh, this is a nod to other Star Wars gaming like uh, Pod Racer, X-Wing, Star Wars Squadrons, where you had to uh, manage your resources to perform uh, maneuvers, which include a boost maneuver. Yeah, fully. Yeah. So uh, and then, of course, we, we see uh, d- uh, three, three or four degrees of, of the boost. We see like a, a low power boost, a mid power boost and then a full power boost which uh, obviously has some <laughs> devastating mm. effects on the train. Uh, but yeah, so uh, cool little video game nod. As the train surges forward from the boost of power, the warrior woman still clinging to the side nearly loses her grip. And after a brief glance up at Boba, she launches herself through an open window. And less than one second later, a pike goes sailing out the same window. <laughs> it's so good. Advancing through the train car, the woman makes short work of the few pikes that tries to that try to oppose her. Unfortunately for the three shooters hanging out at the, uh, the top of the car, they have no idea that she's on board and that they're about to be pummeled senseless. So good. Sudden, I love this scene. Suddenly, the pike firing at the roof hatch drops from sight, only for the warrior woman to pop up in his place. She quickly drops back down through the hatch and dispatches the remaining two shooters. With the way clear, the group moves forward, and inside the engine, the conductor droid performs another boost sequence, this time pushing the train even harder. Up on the roof, one of the Tuscans dashes ahead, unaware that the engine is about to go full power, and he ends up catching the blast in the chest. Unable to catch the Tuscan, Boba continues moving forward, but he's accosted by yet another pike climbing out from a roof hatch. The two of them struggle and fall to the rooftop as another pike joins the fray but now the warrior woman has also climbed on the roof and she makes quick work of him. As Boba and the Pike struggle on the roof, the engineer droid goes through yet another boost sequence. Seeing the engine flare up, the warrior woman slides through the open roof hatch while Boba rolls to the side to get out of the way. Unfortunately for the Pike that was chasing the warrior, as soon as she closes the hatch, he catches the full force of the engine boost and is blown off the train. Rolling off the side of the train, Boba lands on the engine's side skirt. The pike that he was fighting with is not so lucky as he hits the desert floor and rolls underneath the speeding train. Uh-oh, speed bump. Yep. Oh, yeah. Smashing his way into the locomotive uh, through a window, Boba orders the conductor droid a gaffy point to stop the train. But the droid panics and throws itself out the window on the other side, coming to rest on uh, four of its limbs while it watches the train disappear into the distance. So bailing out the window works. Maybe that's how Max Rebo got out. Throw <laughs> throw yourself out the window of a move. Well, yeah, and Max Rebo's pretty soft. Yeah, the way he that looks, droid looks moved soft. reminded me of something, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. It almost, almost like. I hate to bring this up because I mean it's not a terrible movie, but it Wild Wild West vibes out of that. Well, maybe almost maybe. that robotic dog or whatever. 
the the big spider, the villain at the end, the big oh, yeah, yeah, spider yeah. thing. The spider they so tried to put into every movie. movie. I get a little bit of a steampunky vibe though. The whole uh I mean the inside of the train. It's not lost on me that they're it's basically the modern equivalent of a steam engine. You know, that he's he's literally <clears throat> he's like turning. a low level grievous. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. He's turning uh valves. Yeah, like actual mm-hmm. valves. I'm like, oh, you're trying to create yeah. more steam pressure. What are you doing? You know? They even call it a Johnson bar in the yes, the jo- audio. yeah, the Johnson, the the Johnson, <laughs> the Johnson bar. Okay, in the descriptive audio, do they say that he detaches from anything or just no, just throws himself out a window? Because the way he's operating, maybe there is like a little port. That, I know, wondered that as well because he kind of he looks. I mean, except for the forearms, uh, he, when he's standing there, it looks like he's on like a pedestal. like a swivel. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that way yeah. he can you know rotate to whatever controls he needs. I guess so. But I mean, you would make a droid, uh, you know, detachable like that if you let's say you wanted to replace, uh, you know, you got it for servicing. You got to get it out to service it, or you got to replace it with Maybe a, a new the one. Black box as well. Uh, yeah, probably. So he's he'd have all his recorders going, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, a droid like that, I don't know how much functionality it needs to have, like operate the train and go from point A to point B. And yeah. but obviously, self preservation is obviously what, a what is my function? You serve butter. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> everything's better with Bluetooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, with the train systems now clearly overloaded, the engine housing begins to fall off. Spotting the Johnson bar, Boba tries to pull it back, but he can't budge it. So he wedges his gaffy stick in for leverage, leaning on it hard, and the bar begins to slide back. Finally, pushing it all the way back, the engine, uh, sorry, the main engine dies out along with the train's repulsor field, and the train careens headlong into the desert sand, skidding to a halt. Now, we've said it before, and this is just a training yeah. stick. Yep. How versatile yep. that tool is. Well, and this is it too. Like this, this one is just wood. It's just a hundred percent. It's not even a full. There's no, full there's no metal in it. Yeah. And I mean, we know that the, the, the other gaffies are a hybrid of both. Yes. I actually got the impression from, uh, from a new hope that gaffies were made out of junk, like hmm. just pure. I thought the original ones were just scrap all, iron. Yeah. I thought that they were all steel. Yeah. So hmm. did I actually. Yeah. All right. With, um, with the train now stopped and the remaining pikes grossly outnumbered, the Tuscans begin looting the train for anything and everything that might be of use. And with the pikes rounded up and under guard, Boba sits on a barrel and accepts a black melon from one of the guards. This was a little weird to me. I, yeah, like, why? I thought that maybe she should be sitting there holding court and he should be, uh, while he should still be talking, there should be nothing oh, yeah, yeah. different about the scene, except she should be sitting throne-like and he should be off to the side behind her doing that all she's the, talking. the ranking tuscan right i would yeah, yeah, yeah. i would think but very cool scene still uh, i i don't disagree with you on that i i think that there's an argument to be made for that i still i would like to see more i hope going forward they've, they've already talked about that as the uh, as the show goes forward we're going to spend less time in the past and we're going to spend more time in the future so i mean we have a limited amount of time to spend with the with the tribe there's got to be more there. And I would like to see more, um, uh, more of what, what is her role? I mean, obviously she's the, the, the best warrior in the tribe, or at least we yeah. think she is right. But there's gotta be more there because there's that we've established, or at least we think anyway, there's this undertone where she and the chief and perhaps the, the boy are a family. Yeah. Right. I'd like to see more of that dynamic played out while we still have time with these characters. And at the same time though, like, 
her being the warrior always standing at the ready yeah well there is that maybe too. she wouldn't take a seat no you know? you've, that's yeah a good point there as well they're all good points all right where are we at here uh da, 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 da. here we go uh boba demands that the pike leader identify themselves and uh, when he does he asks the pike leader asks if they're to be killed uh, boba tells him now that depends on how you answer what i'm about to ask you <laughs> asking him plainly is the train carrying spice the pike plays coy and he says what do you mean and boba clarifies sensana spice from the slave mines of kessel but the pike continues to play dumb asking what does spice look like <laughs> but at the very moment that he says that two tuscans drop a chest and the lid gets knocked open and releases a huge <clears throat> cloud of orange dust can we talk about how high those two tuscans well, those those poor people. Those those poor are, every time i watch that scene i look over at lauren and i go whoa they're so rude now you think boba's gonna have a trip <laughs> these two guys yeah man they got the full face of all the spice there wow um <laughs> I would fill a Cam Tono, no problem. So what? What's worse, uh, spice or lizard? Oh, I don't know. Highly addictive. Imagine, <laughs> imagine just the tiny little backstory if we run with it. These two Tuscans are now suddenly addicted to spice and and have access to a whole train full of it now. <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. So are we saying that? Are we saying that these two guys are now the Cheech and Chong of Sand People? <laughs> they could, I mean, it, it's possible. We could run with a story there, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern yes. of the Tuscan Raiders. <laughs> That's awesome. Side stories ready to be going. Boba just looks at the pike and he's like, like that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so taking a drink from his black melon, Boba tells the pike leader that uh, things aren't looking too good for you. But the Pike tries to justify their actions, saying that they thought the Tuscans were uncivilized raiders and they were only trying to protect their route. Now at that, Boba stands up and he tells the Pike leader that the Sands are no longer theirs, that the Tuscan tribe lays ancestral claim to the land, and that if they want to pass, a toll must be paid, adding that any death dealt from the passing freighters will be repaid tenfold. Stepping towards the pike, he continues, now go back to your syndicate and present these terms. Your lives are a gesture of our civility. So good. Oh, I love that line. So good. And there, I mean, how cool is this? You've got uh, this, probably what I would say, the the most sincere portrayal of an indigenous uh, people in, in television history being led by an indigenous person. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Oh. Strong, uh, also strong. Like it's it's somewhere in between the uh, the North American nomadic tribes and the and the Bedouin tribes of of uh, the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that that was a criticism that came up in episode one about why. And I'd said that that these guys look more Bedouin. Their tents are very different, but that makes sense given what the chief says later on about there being different tribes and and how some yeah. tribes survive by hiding well if you're the tribe that survives by hiding you need to be portable and mobile unlike the the tribe that that uh, captured anakin's mother who obviously survived by killing and maybe we're more you know uh this is our territory and we're not moving hence the the animal hides and the, and the more solid structures yeah i think it's it's just a wonderful place that we're in 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 entertainment where uh, you know, like uh, with Hawkeye, where we have a, a 
a, a deaf Native American character played yeah. by a deaf Native American, Native American girl. actor. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. I mean, so there, we don't have to. We could do anything now, and 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 embrace all of those things. And I, I, right, I, right. I hope I hope we find out that there are more um, deaf people playing these Tuscans, and 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 they're using that that Tuscan sign language that was invented for the oh Mandalorian. My gosh, yeah, it's stuff so like that good. knocks my socks off. I could have done. I love you know, to hear stuff like that. I think I, I, what I say, we have about 80, 80 slides, uh, you know, for the video version of the show tonight. And, uh, I probably could have made for every, uh, um, and, and I actually did that with the slide where he's talking to the boy about using the mirror. I, I tried to get each hand gesture in there, but I mean, for every piece, like language bit, we could just, we could have a whole show just on language. Yep. Oh yeah. It's so good. All right. Now, where are we at here now? got to get talking and I lose my place here. Uh, yeah. So adding that any death, uh, dealt from the freighters will be met by uh, tenfold. And isn't the pikes his, uh, position, if you will. Yep. Of, you know, we were just defending against these uncivilized raiders. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it's very typical. So yeah, I mean, that is the, that's another reference to that whole, like, um, what's the word the the stereotypical western movie that yeah. hold you know traveling through indian country yeah, yeah. the wagon train yeah. yes yeah, yeah yeah circle the wagons and the uh, first time we've seen the pikes live action without helmets on too right it we is the first solo, time yeah it, it, yeah yeah all helmeted right uh they got a gentle uh redo in this from yeah. uh, their animated appearance uh yes. i'm not disappointed they look more of amphibian yeah yeah very much so yeah. I almost felt like in the, in the Clone Wars uh, that they had more of a. Now it could have just been the way that the the headdress that they were wearing, but I was like, are they part like like dinosaur? Are those feathers? What's going on there? But yeah, and then they had like this whole Egyptian thing going on a lot, yeah, of triangle yeah. heads and some there was there. like the elongated elongated neck thing going on. That's mm-hmm. gone now, but but that's okay. Like I, I'm not uh, all that you know upset with that. We saw them in like you say in Solo. And uh, they look like regular dudes with helmets. That's right. <laughs> and now they maybe do that uh, that that puffy thing maybe it expands and their head gets oh you know, maybe maybe cool feature. All right, releasing the pikes. Boba instructs them to walk single file <laughs> toward the high sun. Interesting that he tells them walk single file. And does that not play into the next line? Where uh, sorry, he says that if they leave now, they can reach Anchorhead by sunset. The pike leader who protests uh, because he's fearful that they will be killed after they leave. But Boba reassures them, and this is the line that it ties into, that they are now under the protection of the Tuscans and no harm will befall them. So walk single file and every other sand people or person out there will think you're one of us because we all move in single file. Yep. Like it's a way of uh, communicating without communicating. Yeah, a nonverbal way of communicating to others that oh, these guys know the way, so they're okay. And it's funny, like so it's their it's their way of communicating with one another, and yeah. Obi Wan interprets it as a way of uh, keeping a military advantage on you. Yeah, he's, he's thinking like a general, numbers. right? Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely is. All right. Uh, denying the pikes their water car, he tells them that they will each survive on a black melon, just as these people do. Just then, one of the raiders knocks a stopper off the water car, and more water than probably any of them have ever seen in their entire life pours out onto the desert, and uh, the tribe rushes to fill uh, practically any and every container that they can get their hands on. Mm. 
the chief who watches from a short distance away locked eyes with Boba Fett and both men nod respectfully. All right. Uh, that night while seated around uh, the fu- seated around a fire, the chief explains that there are many different Tuscan tribes. And uh, since uh, the oceans dried up, his tribe has survived by staying hidden, whereas some of the others have taken to killing. Boba tells the chief that uh, they shouldn't have to hide. They're warriors. But the chief tells him that the off-worlders have machines. Boba counters saying that, well, you have machines now as well, and you know every grain of sand in the Dune Sea. The chief tells Boba that uh, he has a gift for him. But Boba doesn't understand and says, why? Handing Boba a small wicker cage, the chief tells Boba that he's a good guide and that this gift will now guide him. Opening the cage, we can see a tiny lizard. He thanks the chief, telling them that he will let it guide him. And with that, the chief flicks a mist onto Boba's face, and the lizard leaps from the cage, diving up Boba's nose. Disoriented, Boba apologizes, thinking he swallowed the lizard, and the chief tells him that the lizard will guide him from inside his head. Uh, we can't let this <laughs> we can't let this go without a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a chew on it. At first, I'm like, and I'm not, I don't use recreational drugs. So I'm really, I'm not sort of, I don't have firsthand knowledge. So I'm like, is this like a, a mescaline thing? Is I this, is this there. the, is this the star Wars version of peyote? Maybe. I think, I think I've settled on. It's more akin to the, uh, uh, what was it we were talking about yesterday? Hank, the Colorado DMT. Thing. Yeah. The, yeah, the Colorado, Colorado river toad. toad. Yeah. The whole yeah. line of don't lick the frog. That's right. <laughs> that perhaps uh-huh. somehow this lizard, uh, uh, secretes, a substance that may be DMT like, and that's how we get this. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. It's a drug addled vision quest. <laughs> and I got to say, this is exactly how I got my gaffy stick. So it, it tracks. <laughs> it's perfect. Is yours also uh, wood and metal? Yeah. Uh, it's less metal, but more wood. <laughs> Forged in the fires of vision quest. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay, so moving on to the vision quest. Uh, very quickly, Boba, um, d- uh, d- his disorientation, it worsens uh, to the point where, like as I said, it becomes this full-on sort of drug-induced vision quest. Alone, Boba wanders the desert. The world around him blurs, and he sees flashes of himself in his armor. Falling on the sand, he looks up to see two trees barren of any foliage uh, growing from a sea. And by sea, I mean like full-on ocean like water while a storm rages overhead staggering up to the larger of the the two trees boba grasps at a bow while several pairs of red glowing eyes watch him and they whisper like jawas the tree begins to wrap around boba and he sees himself inside the sarlacc both in and out of his armor next a young boba stares at his father's helmet but the reflection in the visor is his adult self Young Boba then runs across his room on Camino, watching as his, as his father departs in Slave One. Now, back at the tree, Boba grasps at one of the limbs, breaking it in two, and the vision quest erupts in a crashing wave of water. Now, we had a difference of opinion on this. Hank, you want to you wanna uh, go through what you think it was about just it? A th- it was just a thought. I, 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 think, I'm, I think I'm in your camp. Um, sure. But I, I wondered... Maybe this was a vision of Tatooine before the the drought, pre pre drought, um, and so in, in my head it was like it was showing him where the trees were, uh, 
pre-drought and that he would like be yeah, guided yeah. to that point and then you know he's probably wrestling a dead trunk there or something you know or I, I think you're right just, on that one and then that's where he found the tree uh where an actual tree would have been and it, all reports are that Tatooine was a was a water world was an a ocean low, oasis a low yeah. ocean a low shallow ocean covered the entire yeah. planet yeah, so yeah, yeah. um uh, so and but when you said like uh, well he's got it's mixed with all the scenes of Camino it's and it, that makes more sense that he's yeah his brain I mean, is mixing Camino and Tatooine together and that if, that actually if, does make sense if the lizard was a gateway to something like Mortis where we could you know world between worlds but I just I don't feel like that's really an element that exists here I think as you say like I think it's more uh it's his uh, memories of Camino superimposed on right. Yeah. I'm seeing a desert, but I grew up on an ocean world, and he, the the two are blurring together. And the quest doesn't seem to be about more than just uh, a rite of the passage tree. and picking the weapon. Yeah, yeah. It seems yeah, to be, yeah. you know, it doesn't seem to be about becoming the chief or having other kinds of spirit. It's just it's focusing on picking the the piece of material that is going to be the weapon. Yep. 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 Uh, once again, uh, this week, uh, da- uh, young Boba Fett credited as Daniel Logan. So, uh, are we getting, is this more unused footage? Could be. <laughs> it's yeah. really possible. Uh, and um, it's a great, it's a great looking scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, I hope he's getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, all right. So the following morning, uh, with a flash of light, we are back at the Tuscan camp. Uh, Boba's young uh, friend sits, uh, playing with a steel pot while his massive lays on the sand beside him. Uh, perking up, the massive notices uh, something in the distance, and the boy stands up to get a better look. Blurred from the heat, we can see Boba dragging a long stick. The boy alerts the adults and then runs out to meet him. So standing outside a large communal tent, the chief watches as Boba approaches. And there it is. There's that uh, that uh, Bedouin-style uh, tent, much more uh, fabric-y and less hide-like. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. All right. Struggling to stay on his feet, Boba, the, uh, <laughs> Boba faces the chief. When he holds out the wicker cage and opens it, the lizard crawls out Boba's nose and leaps back into it. Boba exclaims that he thought the lizard was part of the dream. The chief then uh, tells Boba to show him the stick. And after the chief's inspection, he nods to the warrior woman who takes the branch from him while two Tuscans usher Boba inside the large communal tent. So we talked about, as you say, the vision wasn't maybe about anything else other than just getting the stick. There wasn't anything else sort of uh, ceremony or spiritual going on here. But I mean, that's just the opening part of this whole ceremony, right? Trans- right. Transformation. Yeah. I read it more like a rite of passage. Then I agree. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I, I even said to my wife watching this, I said, "Oh, so every Tuscan goes through this to go and, yeah, and create, create their Gaffy, right? One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah." I'd like to see that portrayed because how do they, I mean, do they, they would have to, they would have to disrobe partially for that or do they go in through the mouth grill or like, it depends. There's only, there's only, I, I did a lot of, a lot of Tuscan research in the past. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's only one reference I found to the, to the reason that they're wrapped. It's a legends reference and it's, yeah. it's goes back to ancient, uh, they're, they're an offshoot of Jawas. That like there's that a common there, ancestor. There's a common ancestor, but that they 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 don't like the sight of flesh, and so it, it, they the, ancestrally they they just cover up so that they never have to look at flesh. 
Uh, oh, wow. I mean, they're breeding. <laughs> There's something, I don't know how they breed. <laughs> so, uh, so I, that's a Legends reference, and I don't really chalk it up to much. That's interesting. The, the way we're building the new sort of Tuscan canon is, yeah, is yeah, yeah. fantastic to me. It almost makes you wonder if in the in the context in the legends context if they were maybe uh, more had more similarities to the 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 Bomar, who also uh, you know uh, enlightenment through the uh, leaving the flesh. Right. Yeah, they are yeah. one of the two races they talk about that were pre drought. The Jawas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. All right. So standing inside the tent, Boba is draped ceremoniously in black cloth. First, his torso then his arms, and finally a black cloak to top it all off. Stepping from the tent, Boba throws back the cloak, revealing an ammunition belt, and the chief looks him over. With a gesture from the chief, the boy runs forward, taking Boba by the hand. It seems that there is more planned for him. Leading Boba out into the desert, the two stop on a dune, and Boba takes in the scene in front of him. The warrior woman stands waiting for him outside of what, le- uh, what looks to be like some kind of rudimentary smithy. As Boba approaches the workshop, the warrior woman hands him back the tree branch. Boba then passes it to a Tuscan artisan who mounts it in a vise and begins to hack off the knots and offshoots. Once the branch is cleared of knots and the artisan picks up a, a bladed tool with two handles and he gestures to Boba, showing him how it works. Uh, it's a log peeler <laughs> for anybody who cares. Yeah, totally. basic, hand, basic hand tool. Wood shaping tool. Yeah, exactly. Boba takes the tool and he begins to shave the branch down, forming the basic shape of a gaffy stick. Using a hammer and hand chisels, he sculpts the burled end and hardens it in fire. Boba and the Tuscan smith then fit the gaffy with its spiked haft. With fine precision, Boba cuts and fits three blades onto the spiked end and seals them with a paste. With the gaffy complete, Boba presents it to the warrior woman and she nods in her approval. Now that paste is like cemented through fire. It has to be. I mean, uh, he jams it back in the fire. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Attached and... I, I don't know anything about metalworking. So, I mean, uh, if you guys, uh, watch like a welding listening... flux. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I guess so. I'm thinking, what is it? Uh, JB weld what's going on there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> a little, a little bit of, uh, compound a and a bit of compound B rubbing together. And... The, inserting the metal into the wood and then heating it also like uh, yeah, wetting it yeah. too, would have, cause the, the wood to expand and contract and maybe naturally hold the, Metal I, get, in the wood. I get the idea of shoving the, the wooden end into the fire because that just it hardens it. I mean, that's Tempers it, sure, sure, sure. Um, but the paste thing that's beyond me. So, it I mean, somebody, cool. somebody out there with a better knowledge of, uh, of uh, I guess, uh, forging and, and weaponsmithing, maybe you guys can chime in and, and I'll ask a welder something. tomorrow. Yeah, okay. So, that night, Boba and the warrior woman returned to the camp to find a group of adults seated around a bonfire. Boba boldly displays the new gaffy stick to his chief and he nods in acceptance. Boba then holds the stick out and he turns it to display it to the rest of the tribe. Facing the warrior woman on the other side of the campfire, they both ceremoniously shoulder their weapons and then immediately launch into a ceremonial dance. At first, only Boba and the woman dance, circling the fire, twirling their gaffies in unison. But as they circle the fire, more Tuscans join in, and the dance now more resembles a haka. And I gotta say, as a as a, with with Tamura being a, a Maori, and we saw—I mean, you guys saw the the gallery episode for the Mandalorian. Yeah. You saw him 
performing the haka right on the set of the Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. You cannot tell me that he did not have a hand in the choreography of this scene. Some influence, at least. He had 100%. to. One hundred percent. And and yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at the gaffy stick. It's it, it looks like the 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 Fijian yeah 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 blade, it, the weapons that they would use. Um, he had like, said and Polynesian weapons. There was something that came out. I don't know if it was in the gallery episode or if it was in something written that I'd seen uh, for season two, uh, Mandalorian season two. He'd actually had uh, a say in that. He, he's like, oh, it looks like a thing, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And he had a, had an, an influence in how that gaffy looked because he wanted it to be more like the, like you say, the traditional Polynesian weapon. Yeah, so cool. As the Tuscans uh, revel in their dance, the chief joins in, and before too long, the entire group is moving around the fire. And with everyone facing the fire, they thrust their gaffy skyward, and then we cut to black, and the episode ends. Holy cow! There was a lot going on in that. Yeah, wow. Um, anything that stands out for you guys on this one that you want to you wanna talk about? Anything you want to chew on a little bit more? As far as his dreams go, this was a less violent than the first episode. Uh, yeah, I guess so, eh? So they're not all bad. <clears throat> no, we're, no, no, no. We're, we're sort of moving at a rapid pace through the uh, through his past. Um, I, I might I might be wavering uh, on the fact that we're going to be following the Tuscan storyline the whole way through. Um, I think that, like you said earlier, those parts are going to get shorter while the other parts. Yeah, are going to yeah, yeah. But I do think that there's going to be some relevance to however that ends and ties into the end of the, 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 the present, if you will. Um, Did anybody have the, and maybe this is just me, um, but even Kim and I both said this, like, do you think that, you know, at the end of it, because the whole transformation, the whole, I'm leaving a for this life behind, I'm moving into another phase of my life. Do you think, you know, is there a chance as slim as possible? And I, and I know like, there's a certain amount of uh, this is going back to the corporate aspect of star Wars that you're not going to do something with a, with a cash cow, but uh, do we think there's room for Boba to die at the end of this series? Maybe. Uh, I mean, maybe uh, I, I, I don't know if they would do that uh, in terms of uh, like, like you say, it's, he's a very, very valuable commodity right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And it's it's it seems to be doing very well. I don't I don't even know if this is the last of the book of Boba Fett. I think we might get more seasons of this. I feel like you know something like this where you know you kind of have to you have to plan. You you absolutely have to plan ahead. So I mean you you've got probably loose story ideas for multiple seasons, but you do have to pay attention to what is the audience reception and right right. Uh, I am curious to know how long will it take before Disney uh, slash Lucasfilm actually, you know, let on how big or how small, and let's be real, it's big, how big the reception has been so far. Um, Yeah, do they release stuff officially? Um, Very rarely. Netflix does occasionally. Netflix will occasionally talk about sort of, now they don't talk numbers, but like, for example, this week, they just, uh, today, actually, they just talked about, uh, the, that, uh, don't look up is now the third, uh, third highest movie on Netflix of all time. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? It just, it means a lot of people are watching it. Right. Right. And maybe even multiple times. Yeah. Possibly. I don't know how they, how they track that stuff. Um, I do know that, that there's been a lot less vitriol this week than last week. Uh, almost, almost like I they, would agree with that. Almost like they're writing it 
uh, in real time because <laughs> like it's like points yeah, were addressed, yeah. and I, I haven't heard so much uh, squeaking this week as I did. Uh, I threw a gauntlet down at the beginning of the week. I was like, talk shit now. I want to yeah, hear. Yeah, I want to yeah, hear yeah. what your problems are now because I, I they were thin to nothing before, and and they're absolutely nothing now. And then I saw an interesting post today that actually made me think, and that's that I, the guy said, or the, the lady, I'm not sure who, but said that uh, they're, they're seeing a lot more posts talking about how people are talking about it bad yeah, than yeah, they're yeah. actually seeing people talk about it bad. And I was like, well, you know, that's actually, it's a self-perpetuated problem. Like, uh, and it all starts with, I think, people uh, seeking other people's opinions or approval before they, they formulate their own. And Before, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. it's a crazy thing, and well, it's it's okay to watch a show and not understand it or not like yeah. it or really yes, like it. it it's like, and I I think that people fall under this peer pressure trap. We're uh, we're in a bunch of the same groups online, and so like we've we've both and we've all commented on each other's stuff. But like when I say that we're in the same groups, we're all seeing the same you know, for every 10 positive comments, you'll get that one like negative comment. And then the sub comments under that, like these guys are just getting destroyed. Like, yes. To <laughs> my way of thinking, there is yeah. an overwhelming positive response to the show. Yeah. And so, and, and that's what I've said in a few of the groups. I haven't found anybody in real life. Yep. And, and by that, I mean, in, engaging on the internet with them or yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, in my opinion that every, everybody's saying these negative things are either bots or, or idiots, which are just as good. <laughs> but I, mean, I really think a lot it's of just people. I've clicks. made the. I've went out and I've made the distinction now, and I've commented people asking, "Is this worth watching?" And I've said, "The short answer is yes." But then I throw the caveat in there, if, and it's a big if, if you are tied, and I mean absolutely married to Boba Fett's Legends lore, the show's not for you. No, it's not. And and none of this new Star Wars is for you then. And that's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really think that people need to like, that's, that's one of the things I have seen lately where people are like, uh, just <clears throat> pretending they live in a universe where the, the sequels never happened. So that right, like, as soon right, as somebody right. starts talking about sequel, this, they're like, you mean dark empire? You mean, you mean, <laughs> and it's kind of funny, but at the same time, I get the humor in that, right? It, it is funny. Um, but I do see a lot of people just, straight trolling for clicks and for likes and for other things like you know like sure, yeah, ray yeah. is the best jedi ever uh tell me i'm wrong and of course you're going to get a million people telling you wrong but you're just you're just saying something outlandish just to get views and i i don't i don't see how any discerning intelligent person could watch this show and go that it's it's not it's not really good as soon as you know again like not to not to beat up on the uh there's plants in the desert folks <laughs> but I mean, that is, that is the level of, of vitriol that we're talking about. It's like people who are like, like, are you that, I don't know if there's any other word to say it. Are you that daft where like, you can't, you can't accept there's, there's vegetation in a desert. No. Um, no. You, An you can't a 50 year old infant can levitate space buffaloes. But you can't, <laughs> there you go. You know, like, come on. It's, you, I, you I, can't... Went, <laughs> I went to a CET when I was a young fella. Yes. And I went with with my best friend Kelly and his older brother Mark. Sure. His older brother Mark's one of the, he's a talented, wonderful artist, Mark Marin. Hi, if you're watching this. I doubt it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he we were watching the part where where E.T. and Elliot fly across the moon. That yeah, very yeah, famous okay. part. And very yeah. audibly, all the kids in the audience are like <gasps> and very yeah, audibly yeah, yeah. Mark goes, Oh, come on. Oh. 
and and it's and that's the kind of thing that I'm like, if, if why are you there if you're not there to enjoy something or suspend your disbelief, uh, at least for a few seconds, and and if you go through life not being able to this to, to, to tell the difference between entertainment and real life, you're never going yep. to be entertained. Oh, I don't think the argument of there's you know they're making him a hero. Well, I don't think they're making him a hero at all. They're just humanizing this character. As much as they made Tony Soprano a hero. Right. Or they're taking the mystery away when they take the helmet off. Well, we just went through this. I mean, you know, if you don't take the helmet off, what have you got? Like, if you just want to see a guy run through the galaxy, you know, shooting bad guys and, and, and bagging, uh, bounties, then, you know, you can, (laughs) Play a video game. You could play a video. You could watch the news. <laughs> Do you know what you, I mean? Like, you could watch the news. If you yeah. want that kind of entertainment, I mean, there's other ways to get it. Maybe but maybe I mean, they maybe somebody has an, an itch for Dog the Bounty Hunter, the Star Wars show, but the I, Star I, Wars I, version of Dog. This, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is so much more nuanced. And yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I'm like I said, you can't. We don't know anything about this character, so there's no way for you to tell me intelligently that we don't. It is Boba by, Fett wouldn't do that. There's no, is, you have no leg to, not you, but person saying that has no leg to stand on at all. It is by far the best and most compelling, uh, argument, uh, on that side of the debate for that character. And I mean, people are ripping that apart going, well, you know, no, no, you don't know. You because don't know. <laughs> you don't. This is why, this is why I go back. I circle uh, back to the whole, like if you're married to the legends lore, then that's fine. Like we, we quite often say on our show that your head canon oftentimes is, is just as important as what uh, Disney tells us the real canon is. But I mean, for me, it's all star Wars and I just want more of it. Yeah, if you really like that other stuff, there's no. This doesn't take anything away from it. It no. it, it adds to it. You could now you've got two different versions of what happens after Return of the Jedi if you want, and you could run Absolutely. with them both. And I mean, it, I mean, there's like three or four different versions because the Marvel Comics has a version, and Dark Horse Comics has a version, yep. and the animated series have a version, and so sure. you know George Lucas is sitting there with his own version that we still don't know in his head, so. And I mean, you know, by and large, most of us who are watching these things, who are consuming, consuming these properties, we are fans of that, of the genre. And so, I mean, how many, how many Star Wars fans also happen to be fans of superhero based comic books? If you can't accept, if you can't accept alternate versions of characters because it's not the same as what you remember, that's you. That's not the property. That's you. The entire industry is yeah, banking yeah, yeah. on that multiversal no, absolutely. concept. Yep, yep. It's uh it's certainly hot right now. It's hot in Marvel and uh we're well, definitely been for years. Well, now. there you go. Well, Marvel and DC. I mean, DC oh, every crisis. time you, every time you turn around there's another crisis. <laughs> we got to fix it. Well, guys, listen. I thought we were going to run late tonight because we had a whole lot more information to get through, but you know what? Well, here's we're one actually, uh, here's one question for yeah, you. Yeah, go for it. And not to be negative because no. the entire train sequence was fantastic. Yes. Why were they running spice with a train? Because the pikes control uh, the spice mines on Kessel, so they're probably delivering it somewhere. Yeah, but considering there would be ports, like well, why wouldn't they just? Why wouldn't they fly it directly you, there? Yeah, why not just <laughs> land it where you needed to be? Okay, well, plot armor. Oh. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a pretty. I mean, 
it's such a it's such an insidious thing they they talk about it in the in the novelizations and, and a few other places especially the novelization yeah. of solo um that it's like they're both the empire and and uh the new republic are probably highly regulated or if if anything it's probably completely illegal now uh so you just imagine you got to come up with crafty holes to stuff your drugs in to get them across borders and planes well, and so yeah, yeah so find a port that allows you to land with that particular cargo and then and we we know that the uh, rangers of the new republic are pervasive in this reality right so <laughs> well not every i was about to, i was going to say that earlier is like not every sector has a, a carson teva or um or a trapper wolf so right you know what's yeah. going on out there true and There's how far away coming up. how far away is navarro from uh, tatooine so <laughs> Hey, can we talk just a, a, a second here about the evolution of the of the costume? I mean, there there's some real differences here. We got Boba who's recovered his armor in the Mandalorian, and by the end of the Mandalorian, what what they're, what they're calling it, the re-armored uh, Boba Fett. Mm. Have you noticed that there's already some differences uh, from Mandalorian to now? Yes, yeah. They. Um, like, <clears throat> do you think that's the color difference that uh, Robert Rodriguez was saying that was going to be so controversial? May. It may be, I was thinking more along the lines of like, and this ties directly. And I, and I got to wonder, is this another Filoni influence? Did you notice, uh, let me see if I can pull it up here. I don't know if I have an image of this when they're going into the mayor's office. Oh, do I have it here? Uh, No, you don't really see. Oh, I guess you can kind of see it here from behind. Yeah. Do you notice that uh, Boba's skirt is very much like that of an arc trooper? Yeah. Yeah, it's like from I the couldn't belt help down. but see the like. Wow, that's really like. Remember the old snow. Trooper. Remember the old snow troopers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the skirt, with the where they clipped on the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what reminded me of that too. Yeah. Whereas, like it, at the end of the uh, Mandalorian, it's still kind of more like the the big bulky robe on top of everything. It, I, so I got the impression that so that the 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 image that we see when he steps out of the Tuscan tent is yep. basically. He took off the outer robe and then just threw the Boba Fett armor over top. Of On that. top of that, yeah, and that yeah. armor is that that robe is kind of squishing out from wherever it can. Yeah, yeah, it probably is. Uh, looks a little more billowy, um, but there seems to be subtle paint differences. I think the major paint difference. Uh, I took a screen cap a couple of days ago. And I forgot to send it on the on the socials to you guys, but um, yep. I think they, there's a, a new paint job on the slave one. I think you're going to find like oh, like a lot so. of white, uh, a lot of white on it. Uh, like okay. like looks like checkers like i don't know i'll send you the image uh after and uh yeah it's from yeah. the uh the uh on disney plus it's from the the poster for oh, okay uh book of boba but now it's changed to this new black background and there's no slave one and it, it was this big orange sort of tatooine background and the slave one was parked yeah, yeah, on yeah, the, yeah. in the ground behind them yeah. and it was a totally different it had a lot of white lines on it for a slave one that we're familiar with. Anyway. I actually think we got a different helmet uh, in this. I, I, I saw a thing the other day, and I know that that uh, he's a much thinner guy, but I, I saw a Cobb Vanth come up the other day, and the helmet on him just looks like enormously wide. Like the, the cheeks are like really, yeah. really out it, there. There's also an angle to and I... I was trying to track this down because he the, the the Empire Strikes Back helmet looks so much more flared. Yeah, but it's the it angle. Is, it it's is. actually the angle that they shoot him at. Because I was playing with the toy and I was like, "Oh, if you pitch the angle slightly, it looks it yeah, looks yeah, more yeah. narrow." So I think 
Cobb Vanth being super skinny uh, accentuates that. Accentuates fact. that, sure it would. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, that Empire Flare seems to be missing in in return. But it's just because yep. he's he's yep. always got his head down. I'm just gonna and I'm gonna go one more time. We t- we joked about this ourselves, but um, the the dad bod effect. Uh, I just. <laughs> Take a look at Tem there in the uh, upper left-hand corner there, uh, like topless with nothing on oh, yeah, from man. the waist up. That guy is jacked. He's fit. Like he's super fit. And now, he I mean, he's out of the uh, the back to tank in the first episode. He's he's yeah. fit. he's in great shape for a sixty-two or sixty-three-year-old man. Well, Absolutely. and there therein is exactly what I was getting at. No, he's not Jeremy Bullock. No, he's not a slight man. So people who are like, I mean, what do you want? Do you want people got want to talk about nerd rage? People got like super, super upset when they when they came to realize that uh, Din Djarin is a is a amalgam of three people. That there's his his blaster stunt double, there's mm-hmm. his melee stunt double, and Pedro. Right, and that yeah. Pedro is not in the suit uh, nearly as much as the other two. Oh my no. God, it's not him. Well, what do you want? Now it's the other. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. Now you've got Tamora Morrison playing Boba Fett, and he is in the suit probably more often than he's not. That's right. And you're you're complaining about that. Yeah. There's no like, making oh. them happy. That's no. why I'm coming to your house <laughs> <laughs> with our gaffy sticks. Yeah, and and my helmet, and it'll be on. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that guy, he's in great shape, and uh, yeah, and how could you ask so for so much? All the all that so far, I haven't seen anything that would indicate that he's not one heck of an actor either. Uh, I know there was some some worry about that in the fan community before it even aired. I think he's doing a hell of a job. I mean, a lot of it's grimacing, too. a lot of it is one line stuff, but sure it is. Uh, we are at the perfect time right now where that man is at the right age where he could. I know that there was a lot of CG in the in the Clone Wars, but he could. I mean, if we wanted to 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 dig in and do a thing and just explore like clones after the war. He is age appropriate to play every clone right now. Yep. Yeah, if you know? I mean he's, I I was I was hesitant before, and mostly it was based on Aquaman. Yeah, <laughs> but I like I, Aquaman. I think maybe he could pull. Well, it's just his performance was a little bit, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. not not terrible, but not. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think after watching these couple of episodes, I'd like to see him try Rex. I'd like to see Me him too. try. Me too. I, I do. 100% I do. Would. Yeah. 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 I would love to see him take a crack at at uh, Rex. Where is Rex right now? You know, the Battle of Endor wasn't that long ago. No. Nope. And uh, man, presumably like, he's uh, on, he's on in the inner circle of the New Republic. I would yeah, think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In terms yeah, of yeah. their war effort or their their you know the uh, the militarization or command structure of that 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 well, we've, portion we've of the New got Republic. him now. We've got we've got Tem uh, Timura now, and I mean, as you say, the the character of Boba Fett is a hot commodity right now. So let's let's use as uh, let's get as as much out of him as we can, as long as he's willing to do it. Oh yeah, here's one for you. Yeah, if you're gonna go that route, have him portray a few of the clones. Oh but yeah, then absolutely. have him like like portray all of them, but then mix in the voice work of D. Bradley Baker. Could be great. I think that would be you could expand yeah. that acting yeah, set. Yeah like tenfold could be great well, even even now like he's even talking about uh the some of the interview stuff that uh, tem has given out in the over the last few weeks talking about boba fett is that um he did the lines uh, on the re he re-recorded the dial uh the dialogue for empire um uh, mm-hmm. means a lot to me mm-hmm. but coming to this to this role for book of boba fett he actually wanted to do something with the voice because of the 
he's wounded. He's damaged. He's been down in the belly of the Sarlacc. And yeah, so he's, he's got a he's, he's gravel more gravel into it. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely. intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, he did. I just read an article, uh, an interview with him the other day, where he said that he was feeling in life, and I guess you you get to feel this way uh, that sure. you you've hit your past or you're approaching your best before date. And yes. he said that uh, just having uh, having been approached by the people to, to do the project and then actually come doing back the project, he just Wars. feels like that, that best before date has been pushed so far into the future. You know, you know who else? Does? Stallone. Stallone uh, got to the point where he was like, "Okay, I just, uh, I just put the the finishing touches on." Uh, was it when he did Rocky Balboa? He's like, "Maybe I can retire now." He's going to retire. Mm. Then Rocky Balboa performed so well that he's like, "Well, maybe I can do another Rambo." And then he was like, oh, "I'm no nowhere near retiring." Yeah, right. So I think you hit that. You hit your stride. Two. Sure, but I mean, Expendables Four. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. By the way, that that's yeah. true. That is coming. It is coming. Um, it's the whole Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner thing. Leonard Nimoy, I am not Spock. Yeah. Well, well, Leonard, uh, as your as your friend Bill here, I should tell you that you know this this whole Star Trek thing. It's it's really caught on, and maybe you should lean into that a little more. And then Leonard's like, oh, okay, oh, I am Spock. Right. So I mean, you know, lean into it while you have it. And I mean, if this elevates him to whatever the next level is for him, yeah, good on you. Oh yeah, big time, big yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we always have Daniel Logan in the in the back, if if anything ever happened. I saw a comment uh, today. Actually, I saw a comment where somebody said, "Let's do a spinoff series with Daniel Logan, who's just running around collecting bounties." Do you know what I mean? Like, let's I mean, get as the, a young let's get as the, a young Boba Fett. Adventures of young, yeah, young well, Boba. Yeah, 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 why yeah. not? They could do the adventures of young Indiana Jones. Why not? That is true. That is true. All right. So, uh, last week, what did we say that, that, uh, that Disney, uh, thing, that poster said we got eight episodes. That's not right. Is it? That's we're seven. I think it's seven. Uh, it's seven total. I remember I why said they did that. You and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, Tamara Morrison came out this week and said that our minds are going to be blown by something. Five, in the seventh six, episode. five, six, and seven, yeah. according to one of the, uh, yeah. uh, one of the, the, uh, is he the DP? The, mouth the, shut dm <laughs> keep, keep it shut man <laughs> we yeah, don't want to know yeah. one of the uh the, the director of cinema photography had, had said that uh oh yeah five five six and seven are, are going to be the ooh, like the the blow your mind away Crazy. and uh episode six uh is written by dave nice. so something is going to happen in that for sure something's going to happen in that jedi related um but as they say, like the, the, the ending of the series, like how we ended, uh, you know, season one of the Mandalorian, we got, we got the reveal of the dark saber and then, uh, season two comes around and we get the return of Luke freaking Skywalker. I know. Um, on the premise of how do you keep outdoing yourself? Oh my God. What are they going to do? No, it's the crazy. Han Solo. Well, I yeah. see if Han's I would accept back, Alden, Alden so Eckenreich too, I would, I am right there with you. If we're going to do too. Han Solo, uh, if Alden Ehrenreich is is up for coming back to Star Wars, and and why wouldn't you? When they're uh, as you say, Renaissance, um, I would totally go for an Alden Ehrenreich yeah. Han Solo cameo. And like you say, Hank, if Boba Fett has an arch enemy, it's Han Solo. Yeah. So right, like yeah, definitely. All right, guys, we just we're just a little over the two hour mark. I think we can pretty much wrap it up here. Uh, again, the most Western. The most Western Western uh, of space Westerns ever, ever Westerned. in the Western world. 
Um, <laughs> and the most, uh, the, the, the best, best portrayal, uh, of indigenous peoples in a, uh, in a Western, uh, television production of all time. I cannot, uh, I cannot say, uh, enough about that. I absolutely love this episode. Um, if, if last week's was a, was a, was a seven something, this isn't, this is a high nine. Oh, this is a high nine for yeah. me. I yeah. love this one. So much going on. I can't wait for Me Tuesday too. morning at 4 a.m. <laughs> oh, are you watching it that early? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I don't have that kind of ambition, but uh, you know what, guys? We're going to be back here in a week's time, and uh, hopefully you guys will join us as we uh, dive right back into episode three on our little show here that we like to call the Book of Boba Fandom. And I guess until next week, friends, uh, that's it for me here at Fandom Power. I'm Wes. I'm Andy. And I'm Hank. Still five minutes in the, or five seconds in the past. <laughs> Don't All forget right. to like and subscribe, people. All right. We love you. Until next week. Bye for now. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.